This holiday season, I'm giving thanks to our friends over at Manscaped. Everybody loves turkey. Everybody loves stuffing. Whether or not they want to be the one doing the stuffing or the one being stuffed, I leave that to them. But you will be looking like absolute dessert with the help of Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming have blessed you with the ultimate Thanksgiving dinner topic. A little awkward with strange uncle at the table over there? Well, just talk to him about your brand new cutting-edge ball trimmer. Trust me, it'll send your holiday conversations into a whole new direction. Trim your pumpkins by going to manscaped.com and using the code BINGEMOVIES for free shipping and 20% off. I want to ensure that you have the best spread of anybody around your holiday table. Help me help you. Go to manscaped.com and use the code Binge movies for free shipping and 20% off. Well, I just heard the news today. It seems my life is going to change. So you think you're a 2000s kid? Okay, Justin Timberlake. Can you handle this? It's the top grossing movies of the aughts. And this is the top five films of Y2K. Try to answer these burning questions. What is a hanging Chad? Before the 2000 uh, presidential election, country. most people thought Chad um, was the name of a person, not the name of a clingy rectangle that refuses to let go of a punch card ballot. Just who did let those dogs out? Can you perform Who Let the Dogs Out? Please welcome Baja Man. The dogs out! Who? What kind of magic was everyone making in their cribs? This is my room. This is where I fuck all day long. This is what I do. I get on the bed and I fuck. <laughs> because you still miss your Razor scooter. Don't be left out. And don't throw your money away on cheap imitations. If you want to have real fun, you better have the scooter that can handle it. Admit it. It's Binge Movies 138. <laughs> Lady Juan, even that opening is nostalgia. Yeah. Do you recognize that opening? I love opening? VH1. <laughs> <laughs> of course. We are now as far removed from I Love the Whatevers as they were from the 70s and 80s. Oh. Well, at least 80s and 90s. Maybe not 70s yet, but yeah. We're, 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 sure. we're almost as far removed from the ones they did too early about the yes. 2000s. <laughs> as we talk done yet. As we talk about the 2000s now, because the year 2000, it was 22, almost 23 years ago, almost a quarter of a century ago, we were celebrating Y2K. Many of the people who are listening to this around the world, get back to that in a second, weren't even born, according to the demographics that uh, third party uh, internet uh, companies that put cookies on your phones tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're tracking your IPs, binge lord. They're tracking them. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. This is a tangent. They've, they used to track IPs so I could literally see 
like IP addresses and people like figure out every single person where they lived. Oh, and God. Then, they, then they obscured it. They were like, um, no, for privacy sake. So now it'll <laughs> yeah. give me a city, but I don't know your at home address anymore. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I good. never use that information because I'm actually a reputable person, even though I am a video <laughs> store, uh, uh, a manager. And we're not, we're not known for our really anything. What do you know? In a, what do you know a video store manager for? Other than being uh, extinct, I'm the last one. Yeah, just chill recommendations. Yeah, that and Tarantino foot fetish, <laughs> which I do not share. I said something about our global audience. It's true. We 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 have a global audience here at Binge Movies. We are a worldwide media uh, empire. Really, or really, actually, we're part of a worldwide media empire, interdimensional, multiverse media empire. But that's neither here nor there. When we did the '90s. <laughs> Um, we did domestic box office because at that time when we started the project of doing the top grossing films of the 1990s, um, really mostly Americans listened to us. Um, since that time, we've the show's grown leaps and bounds thanks to our all of our amazing guests and our amazing listeners, our binge lords, uh, especially our patrons. And um, they voted to bring this series back and said, we want you to keep doing it. And we want you to do the 2000s. And I said, I don't really want to do the 2000s. And they said, we give you money. And I said, yeah, that's true. And I'm a whore. So here we go. And so we're looking at the 2000s. But this time, since we have a global audience, we're now using global numbers, which is actually easier with the, the aughts than it was the 90s because the box office, by about the year 2000, had actually begun a transition to being much more worldwide than it was at the start of the 90s. Thank God. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, thank God. But when we get into the 2000s, <laughs> round about when they start making, and I don't know if I'm going to go this far into it, but round about when they oh, start no. making about 15 Transformers movies a year. <laughs> oh, no. You're, no China. one's going to like the world. Everyone's going to be like, why do we do this? And it's like the worldwide box office. Yeah, so, you know, everybody uh, cries about the fact that we don't make Harrison Ford uh, uh, courtroom <laughs> thrillers like whatever the one was that came out in 1990-something, presumed innocent. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason is because uh, people outside the United States largely don't give a shit about those movies. Yeah. So you don't get to have it both ways, folks. You don't get yeah. to have it both ways. You take your Transformers and you like it. You got to. <laughs> yeah. You, you're not going to get a uh, hundred million dollar production budgets for a movie about like, you know, a, a woman who wakes up from a coma and isn't sure what her identity is anymore. And <laughs> maybe her sister killed her husband and some shit like that. That Ooh. stuff's going straight to Netflix and nobody's watching it. <laughs> they're lying about it. They're telling you everybody's watching it, but no one's seen it. No one's covered it. No one will ever cover it. True. That movie actually exists. It's on Netflix somewhere. Just keep scrolling. You'll eventually find it. If it's not there now, it'll be there by the time you're done scrolling. <laughs> so without much further ado, let's go back to the year 2000 when you were just knee high to a grasshopper, Lady Juan. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you were knee high to the grasshopper still uh, in, in your heyday as a Universal Studios savant. Is it fair yes. to say that you were a Universal yeah. Studios oh. Florida savant? <laughs> most definitely most definitely at that point um i just i hesitated about the whole knee high thing because i had my growth spurt in like 1997 so 
Yeah, by 2000, I had hips. I see. All right. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Well, folks, let's go back to the start of 2000 with a movie absolutely nobody remembers. What better way to kick off your nostalgia porn than a movie nobody has nostalgia for? I'm talking about 2000s, not quite Pixar, still technically Disney, Dinosaur. That's right. It's just called Dinosaur. Dinosaur. Which currently has a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. Discover a world that you've only imagined. Walt Disney Pictures presents Dinosaur. What is it? I don't know. Dinosaur was directed by Ralph Zondig and Eric Layton with a screenplay by John Harrison, Robert Nelson Jacobs, with a story by John Harrison, Robert Nelson Jacobs, Tom Enriquez, and Ralph Zandig. Zondag, actually. He's not Zandig. That's somebody else. (laughs) It was released May 19th, 2000 on a budget of $127.5 million. (laughs) Somebody's walking around with $120 million in their pocket. This movie grossed $349.8 million. Is this the only movie that's grossed almost half a billion dollars that nobody remembers? (laughs) Quite possibly. Especially a Disney movie, Disney animated film that grossed almost half a billion and nobody talks about it. Yeah, I feel like if you just gave all of those facts, but not the name, nobody would ever be able to guess what movie this was. No, (laughs) no. A lemur-raised orphan dino tries to lose his V-card before extinction. (laughs) Uh, I said the land before time, but meh. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Okay, (laughs) so I have a theory about that that I cannot prove. It's baseless speculation, and it's 100% right. (laughs) Some of the dullest movies have actually the most interesting backstory and history of their production. The backstory of this film is that Phil Tippett, who is the famous stop motion animator guy who did like uh, all Star Wars movies and uh, like RoboCop and pretty much he was actually uh, doing Jurassic Park. And it was his line talking about, well, because of CGI, I guess it means we're extinct now. That got put into the movie <laughs> uh, where Goldblum says, Ian Malcolm says to Grant, well, it looks like you guys are going to be extinct or something like that. So, uh, but Tippett gets this idea. He's like, we should make, the quote was, we should make a dinosaur picture. And the person he says it to, of all people, is a director he's working with at the time called pa- Paul Verhoeven. And it's during the production of RoboCop. Oh. So Verhoeven goes to Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is over at Disney, and then pitches him this dinosaur movie about basically the extinction of dinosaurs, where we follow these dinosaurs through their life up until every main character in the movie is wiped out by an asteroid. And it was going to be a live action family movie because that's what Disney was trying to re- relaunch in the in the late 80s uh, before the Disney Renaissance happened. And 
essentially the budget was just so big that they were like, well, you know, Verhoeven gave them a budget and he was like, what's going to take, you know, an insane amount of money for an eighties movie. And they're going to use real lemurs, (laughs) real lemurs with stop motion dinosaurs. (laughs) And it was going to be very, very grim and very dark. And Disney was on board with it, uh, except for the money. And eventually it just lingered around. Verhoeven moved on. Tippett moved on. Uh, And then the, let me just ask you that. What do you think eventually killed this movie completely? Jurassic Park. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. So Tippett moves on and goes to work at Jurassic Park, and then Disney was like, "Well, shit, we can't do this movie now because of Jurassic Park." Yeah. So instead, Katzenberg and crew come up with this other idea, which is, and this is going to sound awfully familiar. It's going to take them about thirty years before they do it. But what if we could somehow combine CGI creatures? with real photorealistic settings and make a movie that way. They had that idea back in the early nineties and it obviously didn't come about until really the jungle jungle book and um, lion King remakes where they, they finally realized that vision, which started with this movie. Nobody remembers that was spun off from the guys who made RoboCop. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that so much more interesting than the movie you watched? Oh my god! I would I would just love to have watched just like trans. I would read transcripts of phone conversations about this movie rather than watch this movie. Paul Verhoeven transcripts. Yes. yes. Oh my 100%. god. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine how horrifically violent a Paul Verhoeven Disney dinosaur movie would have been. Oh my gosh! It would have been a guaranteed <laughs> yeah. touchstone. They would have been like, "This is a touchstone film. We cannot put this out <laughs> under the Disney <laughs> Disney yeah. banner." Yeah, we yeah. would have watched dinosaurs get just absolutely eviscerated. Oh, eviscerated for long sequences because originally there was no dialogue. These were not talking dinosaurs. Yeah. These were silent dinosaurs. And yeah, Verhoeven would have had five minutes of some dinosaur just being ripped apart by a, yes. uh, a bunch of raptors. Yeah, for yes. sure. For sure. This is a first time watch for me. I do remember mm-hmm. the movie, at least the advertising for it vaguely. Um, you you're, you grew up just down the road from Dinosaur. <laughs> and later, after your universal phase, spent some time in Disney and its associated parks in the Florida area. Yes. Um, is there anything, do, one, do you remember this movie? Two, have you ever seen it before? And three, is there anything related to dinosaur in any of those parks in Florida? Um, so I did not remember this. I've never seen this movie before. Yeah, this me either. A first time watch, last mm-hmm. time watch. Um, yes. <laughs> First time, last time. And um, the only reason I remember this movie existing is because, yes, there is a ride at Disney's Animal Kingdom that is called Dinosaur. uh, That was, and I've only been on it once. It was another ride before this movie came out that was like Race Against Extinction or something like that. So it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But on the ride, uh, you're basically just kind of like wandering through this very like Jurassic Park esque uh facility, and Felicia Rashad is there as the scientist. So I thought Felicia Rashad was going to be in this movie. Um, I thought nope. it was going to like I because you're there and she's yeah. talking to you about how she, you know she's a scientist and she's Felicia Rashad. She's not a movie. Uh, not sorry, movie. She's not a theme park ride actor. <laughs> she's no. a real. <laughs> person yeah. um 
And she's in there talking to you about how she's going to send you back in time. And I don't remember why we're going back in time. Uh, I don't know if it's to save a scientist, if it's to save the dinosaur, because she talks about Aladar. She talks about this dinosaur. Um, They know where he is, but we're going and it is fully like the asteroid is about to hit. And so you've got to get whoever, which again, I don't remember, uh, and then get back into modern times before (laughs) the asteroid destroys everything. Is it possible that your mission is to get Aladar laid? before extinction because <laughs> that's basically the entire plot of his for his character is like this yeah. guy's got to fuck this dinosaur has got to get fucking yeah it's, which it puts weird. it in a weird existential crisis because even if he does mate it doesn't matter it won't matter that's it won't matter. That the strangest thing i felt watching these movies i was like but this this is almost the end why do yeah, i no, care nothing they're, they're all matters. about to go yeah <laughs> like, and they're all vaguely so aware of it at a certain point yeah. of like oh yeah this is our end this is the end of it. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, this is a bummer. I know how this feels because that's how I feel about humanity right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Was like, right? Oh, yeah. same, Aladar, same. <laughs> Yo, yeah, like a hundred percent. Like, like if anything, some of the themes of this movie are a little bit more relevant because it's like they're at this sort of ecological, it's asteroid based, but disaster. Yeah. And, and you have these dinosaurs who eventually start speaking. They don't speak for like the first 10 minutes. Yeah, it's probably the most effective part of the movie is that opening. Once they start talking, then it kind of it, it, it you end up with this it's really weird. weird product, which mm-hmm. it feels like fairly standard stuff from the era. Like it's like got a little bit of Tarzan in it, a little yes. land before time. Mm-hmm. And it and this is my kind of my theory is you know I think that this project for a long time was Disney's attempt or Katzenberg's attempt getting revenge against Don Bluth mm. because Bluth left, took a bunch mm-hmm. of animators with him, destroyed their animation department was, was already in the shitter because they kept cutting the budget and were just putting out trash. But he took the best animators. They left and just destroyed Disney at the box office for a decade. Yeah. And then got back by Steven Spielberg by the end of the eighties and made land before time. And which is actually part of the inspiration for Jurassic park and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And I and like Phil Tippett works on Jurassic Park. I think this was like Katzenberg's revenge of like this was you know basically Phil Tippett came, Paul Verhoeven they came and they pitched this movie to me, and then Spielberg who was working with Bluth they went they fucked me over and they made Jurassic Park and I was supposed to be my movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I There's, think they were like they were so dead set on like we're gonna make this movie and we're gonna make it sad and we're gonna make a, a grown up Disney movie to prove that we're better than Bluth, we're better than Spielberg. Fuck them all. Yeah. We're not going to back off the idea. May, we may be late, but we're going to do it better than them. And they did not. They absolutely they, didn't. They did not make a better land before time. Mm-hmm. And they sure as hell didn't make a better Jurassic Park. It's they not a better a, Tarzan either. They didn't make a better Tarzan. They didn't make a better <laughs> Don Bluth film. This mm-hmm. is like Disney trying to be Don Bluth, who does a bunch yeah. of really like dark, sad cartoons for kids that have just fucked up a whole generation. They're trying <laughs> to do that for zillennials here. Yeah. And, <laughs> and young millennials. And it doesn't work. Mm-mm. Um, because it's like standard kind of Disney kid stuff, but with this really heavy, dour end of the world thing that's just <laughs> sitting on the entire yeah. film the whole time. Yeah. And it's like I the whole time I'm watching, I'm just thinking, Don Bluth already did this 15 years earlier. Like, yeah. what are what are we doing? Like, why? This, Why? This movie is I don't even know who I'd recommend this to because 
No one. It's young kids, <laughs> I think, would actually be scared by it because it's pretty violent with mm-hmm. the whatever the they're not carnosaurs. That's a Roger Carmen movie, but the canosaurs or carnivorosaurs or whatever they're called. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I've already forgotten. They're carnosaurs. Let's just call them carnosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> the carnosaurs. Car- carnotaurs? Carnotaurs. They're just fucking <laughs> devouring people. Yeah. The the weak, the elderly, the infirm. <laughs> yeah. They're really weeding like. Yes. Oh, Which is, all of this is like kind of true, right? Yeah. Like, that's yeah, the but it's bummer like, of it all. But it's still supposed to be like. <laughs> Al- Aladon where what's his name? Aladar. <laughs> Aladar, Al Alanon, uh, uh, <laughs> is, you know, he's dancing around and he's trying to get laid. And yeah. it's like, I, I don't care. This is, and then also like slightly older kids would just really see it as being uh, boring. And um, yeah, it's definitely boring. Too childish. And- it's somehow too intense and too childish at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It stinks. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't commit to anything strongly except yeah. for trash CGI. It is really committed to the CGI. I think that is probably the biggest takeaway I had from the movie is if this feels less like a movie, and this is kind of, I think, probably its place in film history, and more of like a stepping stone to what we would get just a few years later. This almost, if it, To its mm. credit, it almost feels like this is a necessary step that the art form that technology had to take to get us to um, where Disney films would eventually go and some of these remakes would go and even some of the later Pixar movies would go. Yes, Pixar was around. We already covered that mid-90s. But this feels, again, it feels like, okay, this is the next step because they are putting these CGI dinosaurs into photorealistic locations to the best of their ability. Unfortunately, yeah. now 22 plus years later, it just makes the very early CGI dinosaurs look even less realistic because you look at real mm-hmm. palm trees and really yeah. bad CGI animated dinosaurs, and you're like, oh man, this is just no good. No. No. I, no. I, I don't it's, really have anything else to say about it, do you? No. I the the thing so what this reminded me of is when I went to the Chicago like Natural History Museum, mm. they have a little like mini movie you can watch that uh, is about like, so Sue is the T-Rex at the Chicago Natural History Museum. So they make a little movie about what they think Sue's life was like. Mm. Um, And it's the quality of this CGI. Like it's, you know, it's not, it's not awesome. But I was like, man, I'd rather watch that video about Sue, like on a loop instead of watch this. (laughs) Cause like, at least that was teaching me something. And that was a real dinosaur. And they were like, Based on this, on her bones, we think she broke her leg and then it healed. And so here's a guess at how she broke her leg. And it's like, oh, that's cool. This is just all a bunch of nonsense of this one dinosaur trying to hit on Juliana Margulies the whole time and Sebastian being a dick. And I'm not comfortable with Sebastian the crab being a dick. I don't like that. Right. I don't like that at all. So, no, that's all I got. No, (laughs) this one doesn't really work. I give it a five out of ten. It's my worst of the week. I gave it a five out of 10. It is my second worst of the week. Oh no. I think I know what you're <laughs> going to put there. I think I have an idea. I, I bet you don't. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, let's okay. All right. Let's move on to another film. This one was directed by a woman. 
And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, it's directed by a, a woman. Well, we'll get to it because you have a famous quote about women. Yes. Uh, Nancy Myers directed What Women Want, which currently has a 54% on Rotten Tomatoes. This holiday season. Taller grande. Grande. Or at least I like to think so. One man will find out what women think. That's fun. Mel Gibson, Helen Hunt. I can hear what women think. What women want. Lied about the grande. Rated PG-13. What Women Want was directed by Nancy Myers, somehow not written by her, which is very strange. She only directed eight films. And most of those she has like at least a co-writing credit on. This one, yeah. no writing credit whatsoever. It's yeah. very odd. Uh, just the director here. This one was written by Josh Goldsmith and Kathy Uspa and Diane Drake. It is the triumph return of Mel Gibson, last heard in Pocahontas. It's triumph return of Helen Hunt, last seen in as as good as it gets. Triumph return of Marissa Tomei, last seen in Spider-Man, Far From Home. Triumph return of Lauren Hawley, last seen in Dumb and Dumber. It's a triumph return of Judy Greer. Last scene in Ant-Man and the Wasp. A lot of MCU, man. They just they just pretty much sucked up everybody, didn't they? <laughs> this film was released December 15th in the year 2000. On a budget of $70 million, it made $374.1 million. <laughs> a studio comedy. Well, I'm going to say this. Studio comedy with actual movie stars mm-hmm. could gross almost half a billion dollars. But it, I mean, that's... 2000 for some of us does not feel that long ago. It is like three That's media. That's how you know it was. <laughs> three media generations ago, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, girl dad misogynist marketing maverick learns that women are people too, thanks to magic. Middle-aged fuckboy ad exec is gift slash cursed to hear the thoughts of women, leading to his realization that he's trash and allowing him to become even more trash in all new ways. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the last of the magic makes an asshole divorced dad a decent guy flick? <laughs> um, I don't think so. Cause I think there was that uh, Matthew Perry switching bodies with Zach Efron and like, Oh, that's right. Know, yeah. Yes. So I think that's the last one. <laughs> that probably is. I remember yeah. watching it and thinking that was okay. It was like, it was all right. Zach Efron's it. good. Yeah. Zach Efron's good. Yeah. I do. It's, it's just so odd to me because this feels like a Nancy Myers movie, like through and through all the Frank Sinatra, the jazz, the gorgeous mm-hmm. kitchens. Nancy Myers is not nor Efron, but still there are those hallmarks that there's similarity between them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, it's got all of the, Hey, we're in New York and we're playing. It's but always in Chicago. fall. <laughs> oh, whatever, whatever the fuck <laughs> we're in the big city and it's always fall. And you know, everybody wears, you know, you know, dad jeans and we're all happy and we're zipping around and Frank Sinatra's playing. And I'm thinking, why the fuck didn't she just write this? Why? Maybe she's like, I just want to be a director. I want to get away from the writing thing. I just don't know. Yeah. We get a young Sarah Paulson sighting, which I was like, Oh my God, it's Sarah Paulson. Yeah. Um, here's the difficulty with this movie. And the lady Juan's going to disagree with me and I'm, she's not going to be wrong but I just have to provide the movie with some context. Mm -hmm. This is what I would call slight progressive boomer humor, which means in 20 some years later, it's regressive to us, Mm -hmm. but it's, I think I'm actually more complicated than just a binary. It's, it's regressive versus progressive. Here's why. It is regressive because there's supposed to be light, light humor, by the way, 
in Gibson's mm-hmm. performance before his change. Yeah. We're supposed to be like, well, he's an asshole, but he's our asshole. Yeah. And we're supposed to, but we're also supposed to enjoy his suffering mm-hmm. and the breaking down of his ego and like him learning basic humanity. We're supposed to be like, yeah, this, we like him enough, but still this guy's got to get a whooping. And that's kind of the tone <laughs> of the movie of like, yeah, yeah, okay, he's charming, but this guy's mm-hmm. got to get a whooping because he's, yeah. he's really a piece of he's shit. He's going to learn. Yeah, he's going to learn. But it is progressive for its time Mm -hmm. because the movie reveals that men don't actually have any idea how women think. That he actually genuinely believes that he's this toxic masculinity, machismo, charm, cool guy act is actually working. It's not until he hears the thoughts of women that he realizes they're only responding due to societal pressures. Correct. And that women have to accommodate b- the bullshit from men to just exist in the room. Mm-hmm. And it's such a stunning fact. And I think if the movie had drilled down better on that of the cognitive dissonance of, oh, shit, nobody thinks I'm funny. Or at least none of these women do. <laughs> none of these women were going to speak up. It kind of does, and yeah. but there's bigger problems with the movie than just its gender politics. There's a, some real script problems. Um, but when it hits on that, it's like, okay, that's pretty progressive, especially for 2000. And that's what makes movies of a certain age, Once and it'll happen to you, young people. We'll get to somewhere, <laughs> and you'll be like, bros is actually not as progressive as I thought. It'll just, it just happens. It's, it, it's, it's true. It's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? You'll eventually, yeah. there'll be all these like uh, gay rom-coms and eventually in 20 years, people will say there's homophobia in them. It just, it happens because our mores change and ideas about things change. It's just, it's the way it works. So this stuff is hard because it's like, I know what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I know that you're, this is a rom-com where you're trying to get the dads to show up to it and you're trying to inch them towards being decent people. Right. Yeah. But now it's just sort of like, we're so we're not, but we think (laughs) we're so past this. It's like, Oh, Oh, come on, come on. He really has to learn that lesson. I think the answer is sadly, certainly for boomers, but not just boomers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> women in the workplace, stealing women's ideas, talking mm-hmm. over them in meetings like I'm doing right now. <laughs> All of this stuff is there. So yeah. I just want to, I'm not making excuses for the movie. I'm just yeah. trying to provide the context and why actually watching it from a review perspective mm-hmm. is actually pretty hard. Because if you're being, the idea of being a reviewer is we're supposed to be like kind of fair to it in its own context. Yeah. And it's sure. like, this is a mixed bag from its message, basically. So go ahead, eviscerate it. Um, well, l- let me just say, I have cringe memories of this movie. I've seen it a ton. But like in thinking mm. back on it, I'm like, I think I hate this movie. And it came out when I was, you know, 14. Like I'm the age of his daughter in that movie. So I was I was dreading watching this when you gave me yeah. my list. Um, and And you have told me before from being on the show so many times that, uh, I'm I'm at my best as a podcaster when I'm either like really loving the movie or really hating the movie. Yeah, and I feel like 
my background, which is I have a bachelor's of science in advertising and I have, I am a raging feminist and this movie is starring Mel Gibson. And I feel like you did this on purpose where you just wanted to generate maximum wan rage. And, um, I'm here to tell you it didn't work. Uh, it didn't. I didn't. It just is a movie that happens to be on a list. <laughs> no, no, truly. Like this is, this is another, not, I'm not comparing these films. I'm just pointing out the similarities of these films. This is mm-hmm. another big scenario, which mm. magic is playing into the movie. Everything on yep. paper says I'm going to be like, ew. But I, I, I didn't hate it. It was a good time. I'm <laughs> okay. All right. So this is what I thought you were going to be like, this is a fucking zero. No. And here's why. Not. Good time because the when, I gave, when I gave the list, I passed the list on along to you. I got the list from the dark movie overlords. I of passed course. it on to you. And you were like, oh, fuck. Do we, I don't, can I do a different episode for this movie? And I was like, no, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I didn't do it because I thought, okay. Yeah. You're no. going to flip out on the movie. No, here's, I, I'm fine with it. Here's the problem. <laughs> There's a couple of problems with the movie. Mm-hmm. And here's yeah. the problem of talking about it. And this is a cancelable offense. I get it. I understand. I'm just talking in terms of what you used to refer to as star power, X factor, whatever. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of want to digress here a bit. Mel Gibson. <laughs> this is so dangerous. Mel Gibson had it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He fucking had it. Yeah. And I... I think that everything he's done and said publicly and probably things he's done in private are absolutely despicable. Okay. Atrocious. Pure renunciation, binge movies, denunciates and renounces Mel Gibson. Fucking monster. As a movie star. Yeah. You're like, Oh, cause we don't have him anymore. No. And it's not so much like when he's like, first of all, he can do action. He can do comedy. Mm-hmm. He can do drama. He's honestly a hell of a director. Um, you're just like, and that almost like it sounds awful. <laughs> it makes it worse because like I feel like I don't want to be a meme, but I'm like, you were the chosen one, <laughs> you were the best of us. Like, what is it like? Yeah. This yeah. was sexiest man alive, mm-hmm. top like highest paid actor in Hollywood. Whether you like the movies he directed or not, you cannot deny he's a hell of a director. A true blue movie star could yeah. do serious drama, could do light fare, could do romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. For a while, aged very well. Should have been fucking Logan. Should have been Old Man Wolverine. Mm. He's fucking built for it. Yeah. The only thing that could possibly make the, the last Mad Max movie better is if it were him and Charlize Theron, it, assuming he wasn't a monster. Old man <laughs> Max against young virile Furiosa and then them teaming up. Oh, my God. Like It's just like, and he can emote when he acts and he hooks you in emotionally and you feel what he's feeling. He's in fucking Lethal Weapon, which is like a popcorn flick and he'll make you fucking cry. And you're just like, this guy, like, and it's so hard because he's desperately mentally ill. Mm-hmm. He's a raging addict. And you're like, okay, what part of your bullshit is your mental illness? Yeah. Because I can't shame that. What part of it is your addiction? Because that's not your fault either. Like, you're responsible, yeah. but it's not your fault. I can't shame that. And what part of it is that you're just kind of an old racist prick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And there you can't that's what makes him so hard because he's so good at his mm-hmm. talent and his personal life is so complicated it's like the it's a mess the behavior yeah. is cut and dry it's evil yeah. yeah but the man is not cut and dry and that makes it so fucking hard and you watch him in a movie like this and you're like oh that's what a movie star is this motherfucker should be we should have had a lethal weapon equivalent to Top Gun Maverick by now. Mm. And yeah. he should be in that he should be in his renaissance. He should be an elder statesman of Hollywood. It should be him and fucking Tom Cruise making a billion dollars every summer. <laughs> and we're just like, fuck yeah, Mel Gibson. Yeah, he's yeah. directing he should be directing MCU movies. Oh fuck. My God, yeah. He could yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And we'd be like, oh Jesus. Like they're like, <laughs> we should be celebrating this guy. And he's just destroyed it all. Really destroyed did. it all. So he's so toxic. I've, invo- I've avoided talking about his movies because I'm yeah. like, I don't even know how to begin to dissect <laughs> this. And so this yeah. is my way of telling you, I can't. It's, it's I don't impossible. know how. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I'm, I find like the, sh- the shit that he says repugnant and his, a lot of his beliefs repugnant and his behavior repugnant his treatment of women in real life repugnant and i also feel sad for him because he's a very mentally ill rich man who Mm -hmm. doesn't have to take his meds and it's just it's a it's a disaster it's a Mm -hmm. disaster yet in this movie i'll tell you when it's really like like really problematic when he's like trying to be charming yeah it doesn't really work and, and it's not supposed to, because you're supposed right. to see through it. So he's doing right. a good job. Mm-hmm. When either A, he's pretending to have a gentle charm, like with Marissa Tomei, or he actually does, because his character has gone through this arc, and he's actually like, takes responsibility and is like, mm-hmm. fuck it, I did this, blah, 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 blah. And I'm actually just afraid of being vulnerable, and like, I'm a mess, and like, whatever. You're just like, oh, God, this is the most charming guy who's ever lived. Yeah. yeah. The narcissistic charm on this guy yeah. is insane. You're just like, <laughs> like, you were just like, I want this guy to be my uncle, my, like, this character. Yeah. The, the, like, be my dad, be my mentor, be my teacher, be my, you know, my gilf, be my dilf, be my whatever. <laughs> like, you just buy it. And then the movie, like, kind of sticks the landing where she fires him. Yeah. She's like, well, you stole my ideas. Thanks for getting me my job back. You're fired. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which, which I'm like, holy shit. I don't know that movies today would have the balls to do that. No, absolutely not. No. Yeah. She has to fire him. That's it. She, and she does and without she does. regret. Yeah. And he accepts it. He's like, you're right. I, you got to right. fire me. Yeah, you got to. Yep. yep. Yeah. And it's just like. I don't remember that at all from the no, I didn't times either. I've seen it. Like, and I'm like, shit. wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh no, I like this movie. Oh, no, because no, here's yeah, because here's the other problem. Like, it's not just even just like the Mel Gibson piece of it. Rom-coms, we talked about this before. Yeah. Rom-coms in general, like we when we talked about the Tom Hanks stuff. Mm-hmm. Um uh you've got mail. Yeah. There's no yeah. there's no consequences in that movie. No, no, I I I wrote this down. Like it it has just as many issues. Actually, it probably has fewer issues as You've Got Mail. Yes, it, yeah, right. <laughs> and I love You've Got Mail and I will defend yeah. it endlessly. Um 
I just, well, I still liked this. And I was just like, God damn it. I, okay. This is, this is fun. Great music. Hitting yes. the times. Loving it. Say La Vie was Bewitched. Yeah. <laughs> by Bewitched. Guess what, Christina What a Girl Aguilera? Wants by Christina Aguilera. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like, you know what the other great part of that whole montage it. is, right? Yes. <laughs> is that his daughter, it still doesn't work. <laughs> right? Because in a different movie, yeah. he just wins the daughter over by reading her mind and yeah. maybe learning some things about her. And he takes her shopping. And he becomes a more touchy-feely dad. Yeah. And just makes up for all the time that he hasn't been there. That doesn't happen in this movie nope. at all. Nope, still got work in to do. In fact, she calls him out on it as like, like, yeah, thanks for this day, but you don't get to talk about my sex life because you haven't been here. Yes. And then when, he read, <laughs> then when he reads the minds of all the different like moms and girls mm-hmm. around him, they it, they all have different opinions. They're like, oh, yeah. poor guy. He tried his best. Or yeah. like, But the one mom is like, like, who the hell does he think he is? Yeah. Like, he wasn't there for. You just and showed just, up, and he, buddy. And then he's just like, has to just sit there in the shame of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he, and uh, even by the end of the movie, <laughs> he only gets like an inch with her, right? It's just a, a little bit, just do. a slimmer sliver of hope that maybe they can start to build a relationship. And in a lesser movie, like, oh, that she's works. immediately and, on board with him. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what's gotten into you, dad, but I, blah, blah, blah. and she's like, I don't know what kind of guy you're trying to pretend to be mm-hmm. or who you're doing this for, but. I, yeah. I don't buy it. Like, where have you been? And I'm like, oh, like what yeah. the fuck? I didn't remember that either. I'm like, no, Whoa. that's what makes this hard. That's what I mean. It's regressive and also very progressive. So, so you're like, do, shit. Oh, I. so do you know who's the actual monster in this movie is Bette Midler? Um, yes. Because yes. she tells him that he can rule. She or she has met yes. him before. She thinks he's an asshole. She knows he's a misogynist. Yes. She knows he's a narcissist. And she's like, you can use this power to rule. Fuck off, Bette Midler. That's not okay. She is the monster because, yes. it one, it hadn't even occurred to him yet. No, it hadn't. By that time, you're al- you're already, he's already like, oh, crap, everybody thinks I'm a monster. Right. What he's do I weakening. do? Yeah, yes. She delays that, his healing. Yes. Up until that <laughs> point in the movie, he's actually reckoning with his toxic yeah. masculinity. He's horrified. And he's horrified by it because he actually thought he was charming. Yes. He yeah. didn't recognize it as being taught. He was this is not a character who's like, oh, I know I'm a piece of shit. This is a, he thought like, oh, everybody's everybody's in on it, right? We're all, yeah, yeah. we're all in this, we're all vibing. And then he yeah. finds out nobody's fucking vibing. Everybody None of these them. women are vibing with. <laughs> And yeah. he's already showed empathy for Judy Greer's character. He's like, uh-oh, something's going on there. Yeah. How did I not know? So, and then, yeah, and then he goes to a, psycho- a female psychologist. Who already because, doesn't like him. Yes, that he like, knows that. Yes. And he's like, look, I, we came, I came here about 10 years ago during my divorce. I know you think I'm an asshole. She's like, uh, whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so he's already, like, reaching out for help with a woman uh-huh. in a safe space to be like, fucking help me. Why am yes. I fucked up? Why am I like this? <laughs> And she's like, nah, be more toxic. <laughs> you can rule. You can I'm rule. Watching him like, rule? Fuck off. I was like, I hate this woman. <clears throat> oh. Yes. She was she's, awful. She's awful. Now, it was a yeah. funny performance. She's actually yeah. one of the funnier performers <laughs> in the movie. But um, She's the bad guy. But she is the bad guy. Yeah, 100%. Yes. 100%. Yes. He, he would not have stole... Uh, uh, Helen Hunt's ideas no. and the other women's ideas had she not planted that seed in his head. That's exactly right. 
The other thing that's weird is, you know, he does the rom-com, I got to run through the rain to get to the woman I love to <laughs> fix her life. Then he's yeah. like, ah, shit, forget that. Yeah. That can wait. I got to go save this person's life. Yeah. And honestly, like, it's, first of all, it's Hollywood schmaltz bullshit. That's not how, mm-hmm. yeah. like, suicidal ideation works. Like, <laughs> well, he does need a better job. And you want, you want yeah. depression does, she, does she still get to become a copywriter? Because he got fired. So is Helen Hunt going to put her on the, on the campaign? I th- or is she going to kill point. herself? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that would really do her in, right? <laughs> Helen Hunt's like, if, if no, Helen I don't Hunt's know like, you. Actually, he was right the first time. You're not qualified for this position. You're trash. You're trash. <laughs> yeah, this su- your writing sucks. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. It's dark, but it's true. Oh. Yeah. Unless he's like, hey, do me a favor. <laughs> you got you, This woman will kill herself. <laughs> She's going to get a job with Please. benefits. <laughs> she, need, she needs dental. Or she's going to blow her brains mm-hmm. out, yep. <laughs> which is the state of many Americans right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. That horse shit aside, because it yes. is horse shit from a real world, but in the magical yes. realism of this movie, Very his scene with her is actually really touching. Yeah. And that's where I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I, his oh. ability to turn, this sounds so strange given who I'm talking about. His ability to turn empathy on yeah. as a performer. Yeah. Like tenderness and empathy towards whoever he's acting against. And you see it in a shit ton of his movies. So it's not just this one. You're like, that was your secret sauce is that you could, we feel what you're feeling. Like we, mm-hmm. you do, you, he's one of those rare people that whether he's the world's greatest actor, no but he's a star because he can get you to feel what he wants you to feel believably. Mm-hmm. When he looks at her, just the, his mannerisms and the way he holds himself and the way that he confronts her, but then sort of gently backs off, mm-hmm. you know, and is kind of makes it about something else. And he's saying what he needs to say to her without saying it to really to protect her dignity. Yeah. Because when she's like, Oh, this is like, you could tell that how embarrassing he totally backs off and is like, Oh, uh, you know, and he, he's saying what he needs yeah. to say to her, which is like, don't kill yourself. <laughs> I am go- like, we as a company, I'm going to, we're going to see you through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just like, it shouldn't work, but it does. But it does. It does. Uh, yeah. that, that is the summary of this movie, right? It shouldn't work, but it does. That's a, but we've talked about that before in other movies, like Big being one of them. Yeah, that's the difference with a with a movie star. Yeah, being America's uncle or America's crazy un- <laughs> drunk uncle, drunk <laughs> uncle, really yeah. Australia's uncle. That guy's Australia's uncle. But yeah, yeah, whether it's yeah Tom Hanks or Mel Gibson, it's or you know uh, some some other folks, uh, we they're able to take material that really shouldn't work. Mm-hmm. because the biggest problem with this movie, I think beyond like the gender politics of it is that it doesn't really flow. The story mm-hmm. doesn't flow. It's just like a series of different scenes and it, and it, it, some of those scenes have a lot of zing to them, like in a good way. And they're really working and some don't, and some kind of fall flat. It's like, okay, there's a daughter father movie in here mm-hmm. that isn't really fully realized. There's a workplace movie in here that doesn't realize. There's a rom-com in here that doesn't realize. There's like, 
maybe three stories too many in this. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's why I was going back to him kind of like having to reckon with his toxic masculinity. It's there, but then the movie has to deviate from it for to focus on the Nike ad campaign. Yeah. Which, by the way, for the record, that fucking campaign in the movie is as, if not more progressive than anything Nike has done in real life since. It's fantastic. That's whoever the thing came, that I remember wrote about that, this movie. Yeah. That is a oh, it's so good. amazing campaign. It's so good. It gives me chills. It's so good. It, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I've never seen Mad Men. Ugh. But him exactly. fucking narrating that scene. John Hamm has seen this movie. <laughs> so good. It's so good. And it's honestly, perfect. like. It's a perfect pitch. Then you're like, fuck Gibson narrating a fake ad campaign. It's like this guy could do real ad campaigns if he wasn't yeah. a racist, wife-beating piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. We should be hearing his voice is this amazing voice that he has. Talking about women's rights. <laughs> like, yeah. You don't stand in front of a mirror before a run and wonder what the road will think of your outfit. You don't have to listen to its jokes and pretend they're funny in order to run on it. It would not be easier to run if you dressed sexier. The road doesn't notice if you're not wearing lipstick, does not care how old you are. You do not feel uncomfortable because you make more money than the road. And you can call on the road whenever you feel like it, whether it's been a day or even a couple of hours since your last day. The only thing the road cares about is that you paid a visit once in a while. Nike. No games, just sports. Oh, Mel, Mel, what have you done? <laughs> it's just awful. It's so awful. I know. It's terrible. But it's, it's, how fucking sad is it? I, I think that Nike is just maybe 22, 23 years later catching up with the progressive ideals of what women want from 2000. <laughs> I know. I know. You could put that ad campaign out today and people would be like, oh, God, wow. Damn. Yeah, that yeah. would win a Clio. Nike's yeah. gone woke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. They'd clean up. Yeah. It's good shit. Ugh. That's what makes us, that, again, yeah. that's what makes it tough because it's like, okay, yeah, yeah some of the, the gay panic or whatever. But even that isn't really gay. He doesn't panic about her thinking he's gay. No. And the joke isn't like, oh, gay. It's just like he's trying to spare her feelings. Yeah. Because he's, by, by the time he's hooked up with her, <laughs> he's also lousy in bed, which is amazing. I love it. I absolutely love that he is shocked to find out yes. <laughs> that he is not God's gift to women. Those are the best parts of the movie. Yes. I love it. I love it. Yes. The, the only thing I don't like about the Marissa Tomei thing is that the movie fully disposes of her for a while the same way mm -hmm. he does. And that is the same thing that happens to her character in Crazy Stupid Love. And I hate that because both mm. times it's an absolute fucking waste of Marissa Tomei. Yeah. This movie is a waste Ugh. of Marissa Tomei. Yes. Yeah. But again, okay. That's another example of there's like three, four stories too many in this movie. It's too much happening. Yeah. And so you take a different story out and then you beef up that portion of it of, okay, how does this affect this? But he's not really in a romantic relationship with her. It's just, it's, it's a very weird, it, I hate to say it, it almost feels like her whole subplot could just be taken out of this movie and the movie would probably be better for it. Yeah. Because it's just underserved. 
Yeah, it's a it's an overcomplication that we don't we don't need other than getting to see him realize that he sucks in bed. That's fun. That is worth it just for that. Finding out you're not God's gift to women when it comes to intimacy can really shake a man's confidence. This holiday season, I actually want to help you boost your confidence. And so do my friends over at Manscaped. Look, it's the holiday season. People are going to want to buy you gifts. You're probably going to want to buy yourself some gifts. Or maybe if you're a lady, you want to buy that special person, maybe a special man in your life a gift. Why not give them something they're actually going to use and something that they'll get benefit out of and you might get benefit out of. They get to clean up their basket, gain a little bit of confidence. Their tree stands a little taller, if you know what I mean. Help the man in your life or help yourself if you're a man or help the man in your life if you are a man, if you follow that. Help anybody in your life by joining the 7 million men worldwide who have already trusted Manscaped. I'm one of them. With 20% off and free shipping with the code BINGEMOVIES. By going to manscaped.com. Get yourself a performance package 4.0. They're going to throw in a lawnmower 4.0, which has cutting edge ceramic blade technology to reduce grooming accidents thanks to a little something called advanced skin safe technology. Also gives you the ability to flip on a 4000K LED light on and off as needed to get all those dark and uh, spooky places that you very rarely get to, if you know what I mean. And as if that wasn't enough, they also have something called the Weed Whacker. You're getting up there in years, hair starts to grow in places you wouldn't expect. And look, if you're going to be placing something inside of one of your holes, you're going to make sure that it is using the exact same skin-safe technology. Best part of both things, both the Lawnmower 4.0 and the Weed Whacker, Waterproof. You can use them in the shower. No more messy messes all over the floor. No more uh, uh, slain yetis all over your bathroom. You just get into the tub and you do what you got to do and you gain some confidence this holiday season. You may not be God's gift to women or God's gift to men, but you can get a one step closer this holiday season with Manscaped. Just go to manscaped.com and use the promo code binge movies. Get yourself some of the most comfortable underwear in the world while you're at it. And they'll throw in a little travel bag. They'll throw in the crop preserver. They'll throw in the ball deodorant. You get to raise your hygiene. You get to raise your confidence. You get to raise the chance that you'll get lucky this holiday season. I can't guarantee it, but what's it going to hurt if your situation down there is uh, standing a little stronger, a little prouder, a little cleaner? Trust me. Just trust me incentivize the lover in your life this holiday season with a little thing called Manscaped. Get the Performance Package 4.0. Go to manscaped.com. Use the promo code BINGEMOVIE. 20% off and free shipping. Back to the show. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a, it's a really yeah. good scene. And, and then him, and then he does the physical comedy of it all uh, on the toilet, naked, very well. And, and <laughs> that's a, you know, that's the other yeah. thing. It's like he's, he's funny. Yes. Yes. You know, um, he's charming. He's funny. <laughs> he's uh, all of these things. You're like, fuck. Damn like, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sucks. Yeah. It just, the whole thing, it really sucks. Yeah. Uh, fuck you, Mel Gibson. You son Indeed. of a bitch. You broke our hearts. <laughs> you bastard. Um, I give this one a six out of 10. The six, that seems low. Yeah. But the six is just because it really, the movie would start working and then we deviate and it's because you're constantly picking up and putting down plot lines. Mm. 
It's like, it felt like it was just continuously losing, then regaining, and then losing momentum in like four different stories. Mm -hmm. And I would have just rather it have been focused. Um, Also, Helen Hunt is very good in this movie. She is. She is. I believe her as that character whose name I can't remember right now. But Helen Hunt. (laughs) Is it Claire? Is she a Claire? Darcy. Darcy, that's right. Yes. Bitch on wheels. Yes. Yeah. No, I... I enjoyed it so much more than I thought I was going to. I remember just absolutely hating the idea of it. But yeah, I, I'm giving it a 6.9 okay, out of 10. Right. And it's my number three. Me too. My number three. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, boy, what is the worst <laughs> I one? swerved that, right? Nobody Holy was expecting shit. me to be like, that was pretty good. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. I know. Okay. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you do. What's next? Uh, What's next? Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> let's move on to maybe Robert Zemeckis's last good movie, depending on who you ask. Uh, <laughs> we'll find out. It's Castaway, which currently has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. I love you, and I'm going to see you soon, and you know what that means. From Academy Award-winning director Robert Zemeckis. Hey, is all this turbulence from Santa and those eight reindeer? <laughs> of the world Chuck Nolan is about to discover no one can save him it's a search area the size of Texas but himself you wouldn't have a match would you (laughs) Tom Hanks Castaway rated PG-13 it is the triumph return of Tom Hanks last seen in our 90s episode with the Lady Juan Uh, no you did our (laughs) 80s episode Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I can't keep it straight anymore. Um, Yeah, M did our 90s episode. That's right. Well, that fucked up. You fucked up. Not that. You fucked up. You fucked up. You fucked up. Um, This is, uh, of course, directed by Robert Zemeckis. It's written by William Broyles Jr. It is also the triumph return of more Helen Hunt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She was in her glory in 2000, wasn't she? Holy shit. Cashing them checks. Catching them Twister and Mad About You checks, baby. Yeah. Uh, this was released December 22nd, 2000. What a great Christmas film. <laughs> <laughs> On a budget of $90 million, it made $429.6 million. <laughs> FedEx Time Nerd gets a four-year Fijian vacation to learn work-life balance. <laughs> Man obsessed with time finds himself alone on an island with endless amounts of it. Very Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes I like the opening of this movie Because I like openings of movies This is very particular <laughs> I like openings of movies that are about Circuitous routes that I like particular. following an object <laughs> Huh? That is very particular I like movies that open <laughs> where we follow a particular object Through all this different zigzagging And bullshit and whatever I think it's so creative It's great production value It gets you into the pace of the film The mood, everything now, depending on how you feel about this movie, you can answer this question one of two ways. Uh-huh. Is this the last good in his prime Tom Hanks movie? I'm going to say yes. Yeah. I, I, I think it's either between this or Catch Me If You Can. Oh, I've never seen but he's, it. But he's, it's very good. But he's almost, he's like a secondary character almost. It's really a Leo movie. and he's, Yeah a co-star as far as like the guy from big 
to this, right? Like he's mm-hmm. definitely got some misses in there. Bonfire of the Venus is in the anti vault, but he's also <laughs> got like movies that uh, are better than you remember, like uh, 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 Joe versus the volcano, and yeah. yeah, and he's got the the Meg Ryan run, and he's got mm-hmm. Saving Private Ryan, which is in the vault, and he's got Forrest Gump, which whatever you think about it was huge. Yeah. So I think this is it, right? Like this is, this, is it that he ages out? Is it that he stops picking good material? Is it that the Hollywood system just changed and, you know, we're now we're in too fast, too furious territory <laughs> in a few short years. Like what, what happened? You know, it's, it's kind of tough to say because he still has movies after this that, you know, got either critical acclaim or or made some bank like he's got more trauma stories that we can watch him in we can watch him uh you know captain phillips captain phillips and then sully all kinds of bad things happen to him on transportation um you know we we can watch more trauma from him but this is really like yeah this is this this is the end of the peak yeah which you know i i think that seems fair It was a a long, good run. Yes, it's a long, good run. Yeah. I I think it's easier to answer, like, well, what happened to Zemeckis? Zemeckis just got up his own ass about, like, weird technology and shit and just started (laughs) making junk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's just, just, that's just what it is. He's, like, trying to further the future of filmmaking through, George Lucas did. He's just, like, he's obsessed with new production methods at the expense of, like, decent movies. Just stop it. Just let James Cameron do that. And the, the, the hard part, though, is like, how do you go to Robert Zemeckis and be like, don't focus so much on that technology. The guy who created <laughs> an entirely or helped to create an entirely new method of having the same actor in the frame at the same time by inventing an entire new camera for Back to the Future 2 for one scene. Like, yeah. <laughs> can't be like, that's enough, Bob. That's that's the, <laughs> see, that's the point is yeah. when these directors, the, the film brats, mm. right? who were yeah. the cutting edge, who were taking the best of the old Hollywood studio system, uh, shots and composition and blocking, all that sort of stuff, and the best of the new Hollywood naturalistic performances and kind of, and then mixing it with like the B, drive-in B-movie high concepts that they grew up with and, and comic books, whatever. They took all that stuff and they, they the and Cameron isn't technically like a UCLA guy, I don't think, but he came up with the Roger Corman school, but your Camerons, your Zemeckis, your Spielberg, your Lucas, your, even your De Palmas, like all of those, your, your Scorsese's, your um, Francis Ford Coppola, all of these guys, how do you say to them like, oh, hey, you're 50 now and you don't have it anymore. Yeah, You're not on the cutting edge because here's here's what was amazing about this slate of movies these top five they're all sad mm-hmm. even what women wants has sadness in it yeah it gets fired <laughs> um mission impossible 2 we'll get to it is really as bombastic as it is it's a really somber movie yeah and i think like i know that's woo but I think what we're seeing is all of these filmmakers of a certain age are actually re- starting they're in their middle age crisis years mm-hmm. and they've stuff has just, just started to pass them by. Right. Like yeah. it's still the nineties to them. Right. Cause 2000 is basically like 1999 it's, part two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're in that, we're in that hangover period. 
Yeah. That every decade has where the new decade doesn't start until you're like three, four, five years in. Yeah. You know, so like the early nineties, we, you know, Pat and I talked about this rest in peace when we started this whole project with these top grossing retrospectives, like it's, it's 1988 until 1994. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The eighties hung the fuck over (laughs) and the nineties hang, honestly, the hangover until nine 11. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And then the dream of the nineties fucking dies, at least for the, for people in the United States. We're like, Oh fuck. And then you get the dot-com bubble and the economy starts to take a shit. And, Mm -hmm. but we're, we're, the the baby boomers are still riding high, but they're coming to terms right about 2000. These guys, I think are coming to terms with the fact that I think Hanks is in that category. Mm -hmm. Um, Gibson's now older. He's definitely a much older man by 2000. He looks older. I think these, all of these people are coming to terms with the fact that they're not going to live forever. Yeah. And from this point forward, I think Zemeckis and guys like him are chasing legacy. Mm, yeah. And that's why yeah. Spielberg has spent the rest of his career, other than Ready Player One, directing movies about his childhood. Mm. World War II, things that his father was involved in. Hanks is going to do Band of Brothers, right? They start going back to the things that shaped their fathers because yeah. it's really them going back to their childhood. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't draw people to the box office when the box office is progressively through this decade, be, the driver for it is getting younger and younger. Yeah, younger and more global. So that's, yes. a, that's an American Bingo. perspective. That's yes. an, an American even like Mel Gibson, I think he was technically born in America. Uh, I think we're partially responsible. Yep. So, but, but that is, that's the perspective of a, an upper middle-class white man in America. That's, that's yes. driving those things. And that's gonna keep changing. And we're going to keep pulling away from that as, you know, film history goes on, but that's, that's who's still kind of, that's whose feelings we're dealing with in today's episode. <laughs> no, it, no, it really is. Yeah. Cause when we yeah, left off sure. in 1999 and how many of those movies were like all about middle-class upper middle-class malaise, right? Yeah. I've got an amazing job and a hot wife who won't suck my dick. And I hate my yeah. kid who listens to rap music. I don't understand yeah. him. So I'm going to start smoking weed and lifting weights and wanting to fuck the 14 year old girl next door. <laughs> and then that wins an Academy award because everybody could relate to that. You're just like, what the fuck? Huh? Right. Yeah. But um, I mean, you know, it's, but it's true. Like yeah. that's this, there's something going on in this generation of filmmakers mm-hmm. and actors and the Academy where they're like, yeah, this is us. We work too hard. We're too, we're, we we're too focused on our careers. We've lost time with people. No one appreciates sort of us. No one appreciates us. Yeah. I thought I understood women. I don't get women. I don't yeah. understand my teenage daughter. Like all of this stuff. It's like, I thought women liked it when I fucked them. And apparently <laughs> I'm a dead lay, right? Apparently my dick is small, you know, that's part of the joke. Is it Mel Gibson's like kind of got about little... the grande. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He doesn't have a low key big hog. He's, he's got a low key small hog, you know? <laughs> And it's like, they're reckoning with that, right? They're reckoning with like, like women aren't taking their shit as much anymore and their jobs are unstable and the corporations they work for don't give a fuck about your life and your family. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I was, I'm going to make sad movies about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that are supposed to be four quadrant Christmas entertainment. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah. This the next year, uh, Crow's gonna uh, win the Academy Award over Hanks. Yeah. What do you think about that? Should Hanks have won for this movie? Since he's in the entire thing is a performance of one. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I think in retrospect, you you have to say like the heavier lifting is here. Yeah. For performer, yeah. I mean, this is fucking insane. Like, there's no way he wouldn't win now if it was the same thing. Like, oh, this the would extreme be weight loss, dunk. weight gain, the sixty pounds the he hair, put on and then lost the hair, the yep. beard. That because I remember because this was in the the heyday where I watched Enter- Entertainment Tonight every fucking night because I needed to know what was happening. And they just keep showing him up like red carpet things looking like fucking castaway. You know, what's crazy <laughs> is he did the Island stuff first, then <sighs> gained the weight. <sighs> so he, he cleaned himself up afterwards. Yeah. Right. Then had to lose the weight because he has to be the cleaned up version of him. Who's after the Island. Then he grew the beard and the hair back out for the media campaign. Yeah. It's, so he looked like the guy on the island. It's, it's <laughs> insane. Like, and uh, the whole movie was his idea. It's it's just, it, oh God, it's so nuts. It's so. He nuts. was reading an article in a magazine. Do you remember magazines that he won? I do. I do remember them fondly. Him and Rita Wilson were in bed together, and he's oh. reading a magazine about FedEx and how they ship stuff all over the world. And he was just like, "What happens if one of those planes crashes?" And then he went to some, some one of his writer buddies, and his buddy was like, "Oh, okay. oh yeah." And he's like, "What if they and added a piece to it?" And then he went to Zemeckis, and Zemeckis like had the bulk of the idea for the movie. And then the three of them worked together, and they made this movie. And then all of it was on Hanks to do the physical part of it. And yeah, they it's, were. Here's the thing: if this movie were made today, it's all CGI. They're, you know, his yeah. body CGI, the weight loss yep. CGI, the island CGI, everything. the ocean CGI, everything looks like dog shit. And no, yeah. there'd be no believability to it. But no, the fact that they like, like dinosaur. Re- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the fact that they really went out and were like, hey, this is really kind of this deserted Fijian island. And we're just going to film out here in whatever conditions may come. Yeah. Because he got a, he cut his leg for real and got a horrible infection, almost died making the movie. Ugh. Had to go to the hospital, had to have surgery, then had to go back to the island to finish the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like nobody does this anymore. You no. Know? No, because it's crazy. It is crazy. Yes. But, you know, worth it. Worth it because I had a good time watching this. I got I, Okay. Before good I time get to, is, is yes. needs cl- like clarification because it, it was emotionally challenging to watch this <sighs> after several days of fraught international travel to then sit down and watch this fucking movie. I was like, well, I guess it could have been worse. Yeah, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. Could have been way worse. Way worse. And just really sitting there to myself being like, should I Google how to start a fire in case this happens to me? Like what? I have no survival skills. Should I prepare in case on my next flight, I go down somewhere? I I, I, I think the fact that you live <laughs> on the Gulf Coast you should probably learn how yeah. to start a fire. I, I feel like I feel like I should. Like I don't know. And how to you should start learn how to desalinate water. Those two <laughs> things. Yeah, I have some skills to work on. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna improve. Um, the crash of this is horrifying. Yeah. <sighs> like the uh. fact that like it's kind of dark and you can't really see, but you know that they're crashing the water and they kind of know, but they can't mm-hmm. stop it but they're trying to figure out their trajectory and he's just watching it. And then all of a sudden, as soon as you see it, they're going into a fucking giant wave. It's too late. 
and bam. And it just, Ugh. it still is horrifying. I've seen the movie. I've seen this one before. Um, I, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. Yeah. yeah. Before I get to this kind of ramble, it, it, even more of a ramble that I have about the movie. <laughs> one of your great gifts, you have a couple of great gifts as a <laughs> film reviewer. One is being able to replace any cast with Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> the, it's true. You're yeah. The, like, all of a sudden, <laughs> film Twitter scale. started to do it. You've been doing it for years before yeah. film Twitter did it. They stole your gimmick. <laughs> I know. So that's one. Two. And yours are always better than whatever Phil Twitter says. It's like, what the fuck? That's true. And then yours is like, no, this, this, this. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so that's put one. Here's yeah. two. Yeah. Sometimes it ruins a movie, but it's still a gift. <laughs> and you think through like when the movie ends, if this were yeah. real life, what would actually happen? Mm-hmm. What happens yeah. to these people when the cameras shut off, you know? Yeah. What happens to Chuck and Kelly after the scenes, after the final scene we get here? Yeah, it's so this is tough um, because even just within the movie, when they're like, okay, four weeks later, he's on a plane. I was like, no, no, I've no, that's not enough time due to still on an IV bag. It's not four weeks is not absolutely dewormed. Oh, yeah. Loaded up. Yeah. Um, also, he there's no fucking way he'd be that chill on a plane after that. No, no. Well, we'll come we'll come back around. To that. <laughs> we'll come back around to that. Um, so I feel like I feel like they he can't get back with Helen Hunt. It's over. Um, because he is psychologically broken. <laughs> um, that which is disappointing. Uh, for him because to survive all that. He's psychologically broken. He's got hella PTSD. Now, um, do you think the movie is presenting him as psychologically broken? You're saying in no. real life, he in would real just life. be fucked mentally. In, in the movie, he seems reasonably sad uh, about losing Helen Hunt, about having to eat crab legs again. Uh, just- oh, it, it's, a, it's kind of a famous <laughs> thing. But yeah, this guy's been trapped on a fucking island for four years. And the yeah. welcome home party they have for him, it's all fucking seafood. It's like a seafood buffet. Um, the, when he like, like picks up the crab leg, it's just like, like never <laughs> like, again. What the fuck! I, never. Mean, I don't want to see this shit ever again. No. And also, it's just this comes so easy to them. Yes. This yeah. fucking this plate of crab legs that they just left here. Yeah, I I appreciate about the movie that there is the li- like we linger with his sadness. Um, yes. I'm glad that it's not just a magical happy ending and they kiss and it's a re- like we see not only his sadness, but her like unsure of what to do, like losing her shit with Chris Noth out the window. And like, I am glad that it like yeah. gets into some of the realism. But I feel like yeah. the movie at the end is like, and then he found the lady who gave him, gave him hope all that time and they're happy. And Tom Hanks has said that, that he's like, after the movie, he goes back with that lady to their ranch and they make a bunch of babies. That's what Tom Hanks thinks happens to Chuck. Um, Do you know what uh, Robert Zemeckis <laughs> says is in the box? Oh, what what is it? Satellite phone. Yeah, is he serious when he says that? I think he is. Is he just being a dick? I, I, I think it's a bit of both. Ugh. Because well, the one I, box he didn't open, so the one thing he yeah. didn't open was the thing that would have got him off the island. Yeah, I, I just like. But we'll come back. We'll come back to that. That too. But okay. 
what happens to Kelly? Let's fo- let's focus on her. Ugh. Ugh. I mean, it's uh, uh, everything is ruined. <laughs> I mean, her marriage is over. It's destroyed. Yeah, it's um, over. And because just from Noth's, who also has been canceled, but yes. j- just from when he comes out of the bath- bathroom or wh- wherever the fuck he is, or he walks he walks in, whatever he's doing, yeah. yeah. Noth's performance, you got to give him credit, and it's not. I don't know if it's written, but it's in the performance. It's a that is a guy who is who is slowly in real time Noth's character coming mm-hmm. in terms of the fact that his wife only married him as a consolation because she thought her yeah. true love was dead. Yeah. He was a backup. He's the fucking dentist. He mm-hmm. was their dentist. Yeah. <laughs> and he was probably just like, she went to the dentist and he was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And he became a crying shoulder yeah. and they got married. And now she's got a big mortgage and kids and she can't leave her life. But if she didn't have that mortgage and she didn't have them kids, she was leaving. Yeah. He's and the he fucking knows that he knows and- that she, their marriage is hanging by a fucking thread. Yeah. And all this guy has to do is say the word and she's gone. It wouldn't, maybe it wouldn't work out, but she would leave. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we'll figure it, the kids out. Like I'll be a mom, but this guy and her whole thing of like, the fact that she's got a whole kitchen table that she's kept all of this stuff, all of these years. And she mm-hmm. flat out tells him like, everybody pressured me to move on. Yeah. I didn't. They told me I had to let you go, but I, I never to. really yeah. did. Yeah. I, I always thought you were alive and I was still trying to like calculate where you probably were. Yeah. I I think <laughs> if you want my real real world the whole time I'm thinking, she has a breakdown of some yeah. kind. Mm-hmm. I think she l- leaves Chris Noth. Yeah. Or their marriage just fucking crumbles. Yeah. It will. She tries to find Chuck. They try to make it work. I'd like to think it would, but I think he's too fucked up. And then after she destroys her marriage and they try to make it work, that doesn't work either. And then they're just sad for the rest of their lives. That's yeah. what I think would happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think it would work between them after the she'd always feel guilty. Experience. She'd always, yes. even though she loves him, even if he wasn't a PTS mess and she could yeah. accommodate him sleep on the floor and whatever other weird things he's picked yeah. up talking to himself and whatnot. Even yeah. if she could be understanding towards that, she'd always have the guilt of breaking up her family. Because, mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. She's still fucked because she's going to have the guilt of starting a family without him. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's it's it's wrecked for her because yes. she's going to feel guilty that she moved on from either one of them. Yeah. Because especially either way. she didn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But even but even she's going to feel guilty for moving on from Chris Noth. If yes. she goes back with Tom Hanks. So she's still going to feel guilty. She's going to feel yes. like she abandoned her family. Yes. Um, she, she, so there's all that mess. He is going to start to, if this is a real world and he's not a sociopath, which he doesn't appear to be in this film, he is going to then start to feel guilty that she has destroyed her family for him. Yes. And now that the weight of that is going to tear them both apart. Yes. No matter what. And already let's be honest <clears throat> before this whole thing starts. She's not sure that they should get married. Like she's been hurt before. She's not sure that this, like she's, she had such a traumatic 
breakup before that she is worried about getting married again. She's not like, a, you know, a 25 year old in a Nicholas Sparks novel. Like right. she is an adult woman who has a history, who is a real person who's like, yeah, I love you and I love being with you. But like, I don't know that that's what we should do. I, yep. She says to him, I'm terrified. Yes. So why after all of that, like for him, yes, he's he first of all, he wanted to marry her. Second of all, he spent four years thinking about nothing but her. Yes. But she wasn't sure. And then she married somebody else. There's no way this works. This doesn't no. work. I'm so no. sorry. It's not happening for them. <laughs> There's a philosophy in Buddhism that the root of all suffering is attachment. <laughs> and that the yeah. root of all suffering is desire, really. That we desire things and that we then try to hold on to them and control them. And be, because we don't realize that we control nothing in the universe, we suffer because of it. And yeah. so the, the, the process of like meditation and different Buddhist practice is supposed to lead people to the point of ego death to where they no longer need to control. And I think this is your middle-aged dad who's had a midlife crisis and started reading the Zen of building a motorcycle. <laughs> that is what's underlying this the zen of golf like th this is a zen film honestly mm. uh mm -hmm. because who this character is he's a guy who has to control time yeah we can't even be a second late we have to control down the second it's all about going and career and doing and getting it done and then he's put into a position where he has no control over anything least of all time and he sat there until he learns to let go past the point of what some people call the dark night of soul, which is him wanting to take his own life. He's got to get yeah. past that. Yeah. And, and because that's still ego mm -hmm. to kill yourself is still ego, right? Yeah. He has to, the ego has to completely die in this man. And then when the ego is completely dead in him, the universe washes ashore his way of escape. And then he has to be literally carried by the waves back with the unknown of, will it even work? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I have to take what the universe is giving me and go with it. Not control mm -hmm. it, go yep. with it. Yep. And then what's the final thing he has to let go of? Wilson. Mm -hmm. He has to let go of even the comfort that he had on the island. Because now his time on the island is over. So he... He could not carry his old life with him to the island, and he cannot yeah. carry the island life with him to whatever his life is about to be. Yeah. And there's this little subtle thing, if you notice, where like he's almost dying on this raft, and you see it one time, but you hear it multiple times where the whales will appear, mm -hmm. and they'll stir him basically to keep living, to keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's you they you don't see them anymore, but you'll hear them and they'll start they'll blow their blows on him and he'll get you know what I'm saying? And yeah. you'll hear a wail and all of a sudden the water will like kind of revive him and wake him up. And it happens the last time right before the ship just happens to be passing by him. Because again, yeah. it's just fate. It's the universe. It's he's going with the flow and mm -hmm. the flow takes him to the point where he needs to be. And so I think when he comes back, it there is sadness there. But I think what you're also seeing is a man who is Zen. Yeah. And he has accepted. That's what he's at this crossroads of his life. He, the final thing he has to let go of from both the Island and from 
his old life is her because he says it. He flat out says it like I had her long enough to give me the hope I needed to get to here. Mm-hmm. And that is so Zen that this is what life is a series of gains and losses. And the universe brings us things and the universe takes things away from us. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Like whatever comes, I have to, I just have to go with it. And he says like, I had no control over anything other than breathing until I got to the next sunrise. Yep. That was it. And Boy, that's about as zen as you can get. And then Ooh. it all comes full circle with that package and the wings and the thing he thought he needed, he needed for a time. But the thing that was really meant for him, he had to go through all of that to finally get to the point to appreciate it. Because that's what I think we're supposed to be left with is because we don't see him go after her. Right. We see him. Set, seemingly setting his intention to go after her mm-hmm. because this is what the universe has been trying to get him to the entire time. Yeah. All of this was to get these two together because her husband's fucking some Russian hooker. I know. <laughs> it's all, but that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Helen Hunt is terrified and has all of her stuff and they love each other, but they, it wouldn't work. Mm-mm. And so he has to, not he has to get to the place where he's willing to let go of absolute total control to find the thing that's actually meant for him. Mm-hmm. There is no movie on this list that has anything nearly as profound as that. Yeah. And I think the last, the Island stuff is hit or miss for me. Uh, I think he does a good job, but it's like, to mm-hmm. me, it's like a little overlong, but, but we need it to be because we got to prove the point. Yeah. I think the last, I don't know, whenever he gets back, whatever that's 30 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I think is absolutely sublime. Mm. Yeah. And for, for that reason, I give this an 8.5 out of 10. I'm adding yeah. it to the short list. It's my number one, which surprised me. Yeah. Uh, I was just deeply moved by the end of the movie. I thought, I know, okay, now so, uh, you're cooking with yeah. gas. These are middle-aged guys who were reading some Zen Buddhism <laughs> and they're like, let's make a movie about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I felt like this was like a unique achievement in yes. like filmmaking. Like not yes. just the transformation, not just the isolation, like like all of that. Like it was just as profound as, you know, like a Hollywood movie can be. Yes. Um right. not not an independent film, like a Hollywood movie. Uh I feel Mainstream like Mainstream Hollywood family yeah. film. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. I th- I just I don't think this works without it being Hanks and Zemeckis. I don't think no. it has the right amount of heart and empathy. Um, yep. This this uh, I gave it an eight out of ten because I do feel like it's a little long. Um, yes. But it is my number one of the week. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this is a surprise for me because I saw it before. I was like, it's good, but I I didn't. This time, I mean, honestly, it could be just that I'm older. Yeah, yeah, we could be leaning into uh, middle aged <laughs> yeah, sensibility and being like, time is passing me by. <laughs> time is, you cannot control it. And you have to, yeah. by this point in your life, you, you have, su- nobody gets to 35 without having lost something significant in their life. Yeah. Be it a job, be it who you thought you were going to be, be it the career you thought you were going to have. 
be it your a significant other who's genuinely significant to your life, mm-hmm. uh, be it a, a child, you know, uh, um, you know, miscarriages, things like that, uh, a, a parent, you know, a friend. Mm-hmm. We've all you all you, you 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 we all lose something by the time you get to this point, and most of us yeah. multiple things, marriages, <laughs> whatnot. Yeah, and you you have no choice in this life but to let it go as best as you can and some of that is requires you to carry the sadness with you mm-hmm. and does it mean that you are not available to other and new opportunities in your life and that's what that's what hit that's what about this movie hits mm-hmm. he's not not sad because he doesn't have kelly because now he's got angel wing girl who by yeah. the way was way ahead of her time <laughs> everybody's been taking all every girl's been taking selfies with angel wings all around the world i know She's and it, this better. and do you know where those angel wings come from that all, that all you ladies love to take pictures in front of and some no. men no. one of those people one of the original members of guar what <laughs> yeah she made it it's one of, the, one of the original female members of guar it's the cave i forget what her name is but it's the cave woman who uh, would ha- would menstruate on stage. Amen. <laughs> yeah, and like shake her ass and have her tits out, and she's an artist, and she's like made those wings and created the whole movement for him. There's a whole thing behind it. I had no idea. See, but we, you have identities and you lose identities, and you take mm-hmm. things on, and you know, and it's just like that is a part of life. He is continues to be sad because he doesn't have the woman who he still loves. But seemingly, he's open to loving someone else. It's not a replacement love. It's just a different love. Mm-hmm. And that's actual adulthood. So yeah. that's the other thing. This movie wouldn't work because it's like a grown-up film with grown-ups in it about grown-up ideas. And it wouldn't yeah. make $400 million anymore. <laughs> I'm no. sorry, it wouldn't. No. 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 <laughs> wow. I'm deeply surprised by that. I, I, I didn't think it would be your number one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Here we are. The power of Castaway. <laughs> Let's move on to one of your favorites, Sir Ridley Scott, <laughs> who made Gladiator, which currently has a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. They took everything he loved. Promise me that you will look after my family. Your family will meet you in the afterlife. Destroyed everything he was. I'm a slave. What possible difference can I make? Now. Every day he lives, they grow bolder. He will return. Today I saw a slave become more powerful than the Emperor of Rome. And a hero will rise. Russell Crowe, Gladiator. Rated R. This is a screenplay by David Franzoni, John Logan, William Nicholson. It's a story by David Franzoni. It is the triumphant return of Oliver Reed, last seen in The Brood. It is the triumphant return of Joaquin Phoenix, I think, Chris... Williams will correct me. I think uh, his last appearance was in The Master. It's a triumphal return of Russell Crowe, last seen and heard in Man of Steel. It is a triumphal return of Jaiman Hansu, last seen in The Legend of Tarzan. <laughs> it is released May 1st, 2000 in the Samuel Goldwyn Theater, May 5th, 2000 in the U.S., May 12th, 2000 in the U.K. On a budget of $103 million, it made 465 million dollars worldwide a betrayed soldier seeks revenge against caesar ancient historical fiction epic from ridley scott that people are on board with 
<laughs> yeah, boy, he's been chasing this dragon, hasn't he? Oh, Jesus boy. Christ. <laughs> what if I did, what if I made one of these about Jesus, but it was also about aliens, xenomorphs? <laughs> what if I made a Robin Hood gladiator movie? What if I made this a gladiator movie? It's like, please don't make alien prequel a gladiator movie. <laughs> Please don't make Robin Hood a gladiator. Nobody wants this. Yeah, it worked stop once. It. Stop, stop it, it, man. Again, an old man who can't be told no. The no. film won multiple awards, including five of the 73rd Academy Awards. Best picture, best actor, best costume design. It's hard to follow on best costume design. Yeah, best sound, so. best visual effects. Uh, some of these visual effects actually hold up remarkably well 23 years later. Some do not. Mm. But this thing was a sight to behold in, in 2000. Uh, received four BAFTA awards at the 54th British Academy Film Awards for Best Film, Best Cinematography. Again, hard to follow. Best Production Design, Best Editing. Uh, no Best Score. That leads me to what we've talked about before here at Binge Movies, the Hans Zimmer Truth. <laughs> Classic Hans Zimmer cues here, including most of Pirates of the Caribbean. It's the same shit! Which he would use three years later. Yeah, I was I was watching this and I'm like, that's Hans Zimmer. That's that's that's, that's Pirates that's, that's of the Caribbean. <laughs> I was like, that bastard used the same shit had again. Have you ever seen this one before? No, and I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean untold numbers of times. You love and Pirates of like, the Caribbean, and it's yeah. a bit of a it's a bit of a letdown. You realize that amazing theme is just stolen from here. It's just this. It's this. Yes. I'm like I was. Humming it along with the movie that I've never seen bum, before. Bum, bum, and I, was bum, like, bum. I was like, this is bullshit. Hans. It's bullshit. Hans Zimmer. <laughs> and by the way, in fairness to Hans Zimmer, he's also reused all of his song oh. cues since Black Rain, which is a Michael Douglas the movie. The entire score of The Dark Knight is pretty much Black Rain repurposed. Yeah. Dude yeah. is the laziest fucking genius ever. <laughs> He's the hackiest genius who's ever yeah. lived. Yeah. 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 It's Which is probably and, why he works with Chris Nolan all the time. Yes. It's <laughs> it's a toss-up between him and probably Elfman. Um, oh, don't speak ill of Elfman like that. La, 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 the man loves his strings, <laughs> and I love him for it. He loves his creepy children's choirs. I know. It's, oh, he's great. Let's go into technicality here first, <laughs> because your, people's eyes are going to glaze over, but this is what the people come for. The battle scenes, this has that battle scene look that a lot of movies, the late 90s, Saving Private Ryan was one of the ones that popularized it, early 2000s had. It's actually a combined effect of stop motion and motion blur. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see it in the opening fight scene of this movie. Yeah. Um, the scene was originally shot with a narrow shutter angle, which was set at 45 degrees. Uh, and then they applied that 45 degree shutter angle which gives this a weird like staccato feeling to it. And they shot it at eight frames per second. So very slowed down. But then they cut it. They cut two frames out of it. They take it down to six frames per second. And then they sped it up to the standard 24 frames per second. So you get this like really weird staccato feeling of like disoriented, like uh, Spielberg used a lot with um, whenever like bombs would go off by the soldiers and they would be like, Mm. they didn't know where they were. Same effect here. Yeah. This is a reinvention of the historical epic, which has been a part of Hollywood since its beginning. Last one we covered in this show was Spartacus. This has a lot in common with Spartacus because it's about the basically the verge of the fall of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's a personal story uh, and a man's 
personal quest for vengeance and justice and all this sort of stuff. Um, here's what I think is fantastic about the movie. I've never been the world's biggest fan of this film, but here's what I think is fantastic. Marcus Aurelius has lived a life of power and bloodshed. And again, here's this theme, but now he's an old man facing his mortality. Right. And he's in this like Ecclesiastes moment, right? For those who don't know, Ecclesiastes is part of the Hebrew scriptures. It's part of what's known as the Ketuvim, which is, uh, means wisdom. And it's written from the perspective. Some people say three different perspectives. Uh, but at least one of those perspectives is like a, as a ruler who has accomplished everything there is to in life. They've gained all knowledge. They've studied everything. They've read all the great books. They've conquered all their enemies. They've had sex with all the beautiful women. They've done everything, right? And it's all vanity. It's all, at the end of their life, they're like, my wealth will pass on. My kids will spend it. It'll be gone. Mm-hmm. My empire will eventually divide. Like everything is going to fall apart. What have I yeah. spent my life doing? Why have I shed all this blood? Why have I like misused all of this stuff? What, where will my wisdom go that now that I've collected it, all this sort of stuff, um, which is a ancient, uh, it's a lament basically, which is an ancient form of literature that carried on through the Roman empire. And so it's really that form of storytelling and that character beat, if you want to call it that, is basically as old as time. Old men lamenting that they've wasted <laughs> their lives with violence and subjugation. Um, it's just it's just, it's just an ancient narrative. It's very, there's something very primal about it. It goes back to oral tradition. It's part of epic poetry, biblical narratives, uh, narratives from other cultures, and. I think they nail it. I I think that they a hundred percent nail that scene. The scene with him, Aurelius and Maximus is Mm. so believable where he's just like Maximus, like, don't call me Caesar. Like I, I like this guy is really supportive. I don't want anything to do with any of this. This is so he's like 20 years have been the Caesar. Only four were of peace. He's like, I've, I've just, it's been nothing but bloodshed and war and I'm tired of it. And there was a dream that was Rome and I have done nothing to preserve that dream. I've taken it further away from the dream. And that really is the boiling down of this movie, right? It's Marcus Aurelius and the tale of two Romes. There is the idealistic Rome that it never quite attained to, but you know, the aspirational Rome. And then there's what Rome really was. Mm. And especially at this time. Yeah. And Maximus and Commodus represent. Commodus is what Rome really is. Mm-hmm. Duplicitous, incestuous, uh, evil, corrupt, creepy, weird, rapey. Mm-hmm. And Maximus is the aspirational Rome. Ironically, he's a foreigner. He's not actually <laughs> a Roman. He's a yeah. Spaniard who's earned citizenship through fighting in the Roman legion. And so he's never even been there, but he is the ideal Roman citizen, the ideal Rome strength, honor, integrity, Mm -hmm. even at great personal cost. You do what you say you're going to do freedom, not wanting power, not wanting to be in control. Doesn't want to be Caesar. Doesn't, doesn't give a, not a politician. Doesn't want to fuck his sister and rape his nephew, you know, all that stuff. And I think they do a really good job for the duration of the film without beating you over the head with it of like, well, one of these is the, like, it's clearly yeah. one of them is the hero and one of them is the villain. But they don't yeah. beat over your head of like, this is the son that Aurelius wish he produced. 
and this is the son he actually produced. You know, but he says it like all of your failures as a son are only my failures as a father. Yeah. And you truly believe he is sorrowful to his son for what he's done. Yeah. And he fucking smothers him to death. Yeah. <gasps> and it, that one of the craziest lines that only Joaquin Phoenix could deliver, and it, it's creepy as fuck, is when he's smothering his repentant father and he says, because this shows you the, the mindset. I would have butchered, butchered the whole world if only you would have loved me. <laughs> like, that's creepy that's and fucked up. Yeah. Like, even in that moment, he still doesn't get it. Yeah. His version of, like, if you would have loved me, I would have murdered the world, like, yeah. for your love. And that's, like, Aurelius is like, no, like, like <laughs> that's that not I, what I wanted you to do. That, yes, it <laughs> yeah. shouldn't be about murdering the world. It should be about yeah. being a beacon of hope and peace and yeah. freedom and democracy and all. Oh my god! And then some at the beginning of this movie, like all of that shit, is just so powerful. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, Maximus is obviously like this kind of male archetype figure. He's the moral man who's faced with the death of innocence, usually his loved ones. And he, he gets has to be rebuilt from his grief into this avenging outlaw. Um, we see him at, we see it in cowboy movies, we see it in vigilante stuff, comic books. But you know who he really is? And you know what this movie really is? <laughs> this is Batman Begins. Okay. Because he becomes a symbol. Maximus uh... goes into the pit. Into this weird international, outside the Roman Empire. He gains a mask. He gets the armor. He becomes a symbol, a symbol (laughs) of hope. He becomes more than a man. He becomes a legend. We watch him train. He has to train to be a gladiator. He goes to these fights. He gets bit by shit. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. This, This is Bruce Wayne's journey through the League of Shadows. Comes back. Becomes a symbol, faces the guy who, you know, betrayed him. Um, and, and, and the idea of this is this is to save Rome. When Batman begins, it's to save Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. I can see it. And, right, there's the whole thing where he's wearing the mask and it's, he has some kind of a line where he's just like something, they're asking him about his past. And he basically has some toss off line about like, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter who I was. I'm just a gladiator in a mask now. And I'm thinking, oh, that's the equivalent of it's not who I am that defines me, but what I, who I am underneath yeah. the mask that defines me, but what I do. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. Christopher Nolan sat in the theater in 2000. <laughs> the movie even looks, it has the same color palette as Batman Begins. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. He took the style. He took the score he <laughs> took Hans Zimmer yeah. and he was like, what if Bruce Wayne was Maximus? Mm. And I'm like, <laughs> it, which I've, and I don't know if it was Chris or Jonathan, but I I've, you know, inception is nightmare on Elm street, the dream warriors <laughs> you and every single one of his movies, uh, the one that you kind of like that nobody else in the world does tenant is that's fucking phantasm 
Like so many of these movies, like a lot of his movies borrow elements from other movies. Yeah, for sure. And and all, everybody does that, but he does it in a way where it's like, I'm a genius. I don't know where this stuff comes from. And you're <laughs> like, like scarf. Yeah, but you're like, this fucking looks like Gladiator. This is Gladiator. Yeah. I, and I love Batman Begins. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, but it's fucking Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Batman story told through Gladiator, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's it. If you show these movies side by side, you're like, oh my God, they made Gotham City look like f- this brown, like it was yeah. full of dust. Yeah. <laughs> it was full of sand. <laughs> like, where, why is there really sand colored in Gotham? Yeah. You know, it really because is. Yeah. they were high off of Gladiator, which was a huge fucking movie. Mm-hmm. And then by the time he got around to the Dark Knight, Gladiator and all that shit wasn't popular anymore. So then he just ripped off Heat. And then he got to the Dark Knight <laughs> Rises, which is basically his own movie. And it fucking sucks. But <laughs> I'm, I, I, it's also about the mob. Yeah. Th- think about yeah. The, 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 the fickleness of the love of the mob and think about how the Joker uses mob mentality. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just what it is. It's an extrapolation of all the stuff with the senators and yeah. trying to overthrow. It's all in Batman Begins. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like, and again, I'm not saying that Scott and the guys that wrote this movie invented this because it's essentially the fall of the Roman Empire. We know for a fact, because Lucas has said it, that this movie was the inspiration for Attack of the Clones, which is why it has a giant Coliseum scene in it, where they fight in a fucking Coliseum. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, he makes whole cities out of uh, CGI. I'm, no more puppets. It's all going to be CGI now. And they're like, George. <laughs> like, but that, that's, what it, that's what it is. Like, this movie yeah. was so influential, everybody was chasing it for the next decade. Yeah. Yeah. And and some people were able to extrapolate from that and make good movies, and some people made Attack of the Clones. <laughs> Let yeah. me ask you a question. Yes. Is the modern day Coliseum social media? Probably. I think you, you know like that, to believe that it's the wrestling ring. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> come on. Oliver Reed's character is like a Vince McMahon promoter, right? He's like, I don't yeah. do anything for honor or whatever. I do it for fucking money. Yeah, absolutely. I'm promoting fucking matches here, guy. Get in the ring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, famously, Oliver Reed did die making this movie, which is why you get weird CGI Oliver Reed where they have to mm-hmm. plug him in, which is also a precursor. Now they just make movies like that now. Or they're yeah. like, oh, that guy's I'm been like, dead 30 this years. Is the, this is fine. Now he died in <laughs> wherever they filmed this. And, um, they just had to take whatever they had of him because his character is pivotal to he does choose the honorable path, even though he knows it's death mm-hmm. and he chooses to open the gate for Maximus. And um, he died before they could film it. So they had to take some other stuff and then overdub it. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it was rough then it's rougher now, but you can't really fault the movie for that. Like you gotta do no. what you gotta do. Yeah. You know, the cliche that's been floating around is like every day there's a main character on Twitter I, I hadn't heard that. <laughs> Pray that you're not that main character. Oh, no. <laughs> That's fair. Because every day there's one person that everybody on Twitter piles on. Oh. And I think that is the closest to the Coliseum. We're just like, okay, you yeah. get thrown to lions today because we're just going to fucking rip you apart yeah. because we're all miserable in our lives. And we're going to take, we all feel powerless against the corruption and injustice of our decaying late stage capitalistic society as the earth. Yeah slowly warms around us and hurricanes wipe out our life and 
tornadoes and snowstorms and all kind of shit. And uh, one third of all wealth in the U.S. is held by one percent of the population, <laughs> and we're just we, there's nothing we can do about it. We know it's only going to get worse. So um, today you're the scapegoat, and mm-hmm. we're going to crucify it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that is social media for sure. Yeah. So I think that is the commonality. Um, I think so. But one thing that's always bothered me about this fucking movie <laughs> is Connie Nielsen, not her yeah. performance. She fucking goes to this guy who has lost the love of his life mm-hmm. and his child who weren't even in the fucking country. who <laughs> were like on his farmstead somewhere in the mountains yeah. of wherever the fuck. Had nothing to do with anything. Brutally murdered. And they don't hold back at killing this kid. No. No. Brutally murdered. He's basically murdered. Comes back from the dead, essentially. Mm -hmm. Is a broken man. Yeah. And she's just like, what are you going to do for Rome? I'm like, I'm going to say, bitch, hasn't this (laughs) man done enough? And that's his point. He goes, What haven't I given? He's, he's, it's like Wakanda forever. He's like, I've given everything for my kingdom. He's like, I've given everything to Rome. I'm not even Roman. Yeah. I got to ask the Spaniard, hey, what what are you going to do to help me out? When are you going to start giving back? It's like, he's given everything that mattered to him. Mm -hmm. Like, what the hell? And she's like, well, you know, I always had feelings for you. And he's like, I love my wife. And she's like, oh yeah, but it should have been us, Maximus. And then. The story, and she flat out tells the story like he dumped her. Yeah. And, she says, and then, then she kisses him, and then her fucking idiot kid gives away the plan that gets him and everybody else killed. And it's just like her and her idiot son are the, re- they're literally the reason Maximus dies in this movie. Yeah. yeah. And everybody, oh, the, the whole gladiator, other than Jamin Hansu, they all fucking die mm-hmm. because she's a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, um, you know, Marcus Aurelius raised two pieces of shit. So yes. it would be weird if she was like a wonderful person. And that, well, you have you actually have sucks. a good point. And yeah. that but you're right. That go, does go back to the beginning. It's like for once, let's pretend that I've been a loving father and you a loving <laughs> doting daughter. And she's like, it'd be yeah. a nice illusion, wouldn't it? Or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So he yeah, you're right though. The movie does acknowledge that even Marcus is like, even the daughter's the lesser of two evils, but she's still a piece of shit. She still sucks. She still yeah. sucks. Yeah. yeah. The this is like Spartacus in the fact that the, he he ultimately fails. Mm-hmm. He does not get his army back. He the Senate like he doesn't get the Senate back. He doesn't make it a republic again. He doesn't give Rome back to the people because he's fucking killed, and everybody that tries to help him is killed, <laughs> and he <laughs> dies in the middle of a Colosseum. And we know that Rome is not saved, and it's just yeah. That Commodus is going to, you know, whoever succeeds Commodus is going to run it straight into the fucking ground. And the whole, all of Rome will be burning and fucking Nero will be playing his fiddle in about six months. We know this. Um, and, it, it's, and it's a very, actually, even though, yes, he's reunited with his family, it's actually a very fucking sad ending. Yeah. Because what yeah, should be the heroic climax, Commodus <laughs> fucking cheats him, shanks him. Yeah. Then just murders him. And there's, and I, he, yeah, he gets his revenge, but it's like, and then to Crow's credit, his performance is a dying man in the middle of the Coliseum who's like halfway between here and the Elysian fields. It's fucking 
pretty hard to watch. You're just like, yeah. oh, it's God. Bleak. It's very yeah. bleak. Yeah. The movie, the whole movie is bleak all the way through. Yeah. 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 There's, I mean, there's, there's not a happy moment. No. Is is there uh this is your first time watching this as well? Yes. Yes. Okay. What'd you think of Joaquin? What'd you think of the film? <laughs> um, I loved Joaquin Phoenix in this. Um, oh my god. What I, a creep. I thought he's fantastic. He's yes. so perfect for it. Um, I'd seen because I live in the world, yes, I'd seen the gif of the thumbs down so much. Why? Dear film Twitter, are we not using all the gifts of his faces that he makes during the Battle of Carthage? Because that's some good shit. That is yeah. a hilarious series of reactions that I have never seen somebody use. <laughs> and I am going to make it happen if I have to alone. Like, it's so funny. His faces that he's making while it's happening. Um, he's he's fantastic in it. And I, I mean, watching the whole thing, I was like, this looks good. The performances are really good. The score is obviously banging. I was like, this makes sense, but something doesn't work for me. Mm. It just doesn't quite get there. And it took me a long time to figure it out. Cause I'm watching. I'm like, this is brutal. This is sad. This is, but I'm watching it. And I'm like, something about it feels a little bit like there were missing some gray. Like, it's the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah. And yes. for for that, it feels a little bit too like a fairy tale, even though yeah. it is a sad ending. To me, that it just that part just doesn't quite hit right. And it, honestly, this is a terrible comparison to make, but it reminds me of a very bad '90s movie that I love very much, which is Surf Ninjas. And <laughs> <laughs> Gladiators is Surf Ninjas. Yes. yes. Surf Ninjas, um, which is when the teenage uh, king gets to take over. Yeah. He's like, my first degree as king is to give my country to the people because you deserve to be free. It's very funny when he's saying it in like a surfer accent, freeing some like random South mm-hmm. Asian uh, fake country. But that's kind of what it felt like in this, even though like he's dying and we all know it's all we know it's all going badly. I'm like, do you do you want me to? It's, it's the same thing as dinosaur. Where I'm like, I know this shit's going down. I yeah. don't know what you want me to think is good at the end of this, but it feels like there's something in the movie where they're like, yeah, wasn't that nice? And you're like, no, no, it wasn't. What do you no, think was nice yeah. about it? You're, you're so right. Yeah. The, the last off. moment with, with Jaiman Hansu where he buries the idols yeah. and he is like, um, now we are free, which is the title track that made everybody cry for about 15 years. Uh, and he's like, I'll see you. I know I'll see you again, but not yet. Yeah. It, it's almost done like in this like hopeful sort of way. Yeah. I'm like, there's or, no hope for this world. This is or I think Spartacus has the better ending, which is he, the movie ends with him still alive, but being crucified on a cross as his child and wife are smuggled out of Rome. And you know, like it just ends. And I yeah. think that that, it doesn't try to end like lifting your spirits. Like, who it's just like this is fucking it's over it's sad yeah it felt it felt like they were trying to trick me like the yeah and then he had saved rome somehow he killed the bad guy and now everything's okay and i'm like first of all i don't for a second believe that he would just be allowed to murder the emperor in front of the entire coliseum um maybe that emperor nobody liked that guy i I just rome Rome has a history i mean 
et tu Brutus? Rome has a history of letting people get fucking stabbed. But there's a difference between <laughs> there's a difference between that and it being the show. That to me felt felt incorrect. Like they they would not let his murder be the show that everybody got to watch because that just puts the whole city into a state of chaos. If they can watch somebody kill the king, basically, then yeah. like why do we have to follow this rule? There's a difference between a coup and a public execution. So you're um, saying maybe, maybe it would have been better had he, comma or a uh, uh, Maximus since it's fiction anyways. Yeah. Maximus maybe is able to make a partial escape and they have a, a, a brief because that did happen in Rome, right? You did have yeah. rebellions and whatever. Right. So there's a brief, small rebellion and then they ultimately kill each other in battle kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. I just, they both I, have to die at the end of this movie. They both have to die though. They do. And I, I guess I don't really have a way to change it, to get it to be exactly to, to like, fix that thing that I'm missing from it where yeah. it just felt like good guy versus bad guy. And now we're, we're all good here. Something about it just didn't quite work for me. Coalesce. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. close, but I was just like, eh. we also think that you're tired of the same old simplistic theory of good guys versus bad guys. Surely the era of the superhero who urge you to say your prayers and take your vitamins is definitely passe. I think at times for me, my fault with the movie is at times it does feel like deeply overwrought, mm. which I think is also just like as times change, our feeling of what is cheesy or trite kind of changes. Mm. Uh, it, it didn't really feel that way in like 2000 for a lot of people. Obviously, this is a, you know, a cultural touchstone. This poster was in everybody's mm. college dorm if you were like a <laughs> film bro at the time. Yeah. This and like Boondock Saints. Um <laughs> But this movie, is, I mean, it's really hard to fault it. It is a big, good-looking, well-acted, star-studded, historical epic made by yeah. one of the great directors at it, it, pretty much the last era of when Hollywood was worth a shit. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, for this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll never be able to replicate it. Obviously, he has tried. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like... I want to be like, oh man, yeah, pretty fucking dated, and he had Gladiator. Haha, <laughs> we can laugh at it now. I'm just like, you really can't, because if you really watch it beyond the memes, it's like, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is giving one of the best villain performances oh, oh, oh. ever. Dude is so good in this, so good. You'll understand what I'm saying. It's going to sound really kind of like perverted, but you'll understand the way he carries himself makes you feel as if he is the product of incest. <laughs> There's okay. even the, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You know how like royal people, they're all a little, mm, something's like, not right in the gene pool. There's not enough genes in here. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. this is one of the few movies that ever really focuses on his hair lip. Mm. And I think they even accentuated it. Mm. And I think there's, they want you to be, there's something about how he's shot, of how Please. sickly he looks. He looks yeah. sickly. Like he's pale, he's got dark circle, circles in his eyes. Mm -hmm. He's, I'm going to be very honest, he's effeminate. Mm -hmm. He's incestuous, uh, like overtly. Yeah. He is, you don't know whether he wants to kill his nephew or rape him or do both when he's yeah. like in the bed with him. And like, he's so, he sleeps well because he's so loved. It's just like, what the <laughs> fuck? Ugh, and it's so all, 
It's so creepy. It's so every time he's on screen, your fucking skin crawls. Yeah. yeah. And to go back to the wrestling thing, if he you need a heel like that because you gotta we want to see Maximus to your point, who is a white meat baby face who does no wrong at any point in this movie. Mm-hmm. You want to you want to see the white the baby face kick that guy's fucking ass in the middle of the ring. Yeah. So that's where the logic does kind of go into pro wrestling, like old school pro wrestling, where there's a very clear good guy. Yes. There's a very clear villain. And yeah. you're like, yeah, kick that fucking guy's ass, yeah. you know, and the, and he cheats. Right. He uses a foreign object before the bell rings mm-hmm. and he gets the heat on Maximus and then Maximus <laughs> has to make the comeback. Yeah. yeah. Only difference is he dies in the middle of the ring <laughs> when it's over, like Ric Flair will one day. So. Yeah, I, it's it's my number two for the week be, because uh, I just think the philosophy of Castaway is so much stronger. I give this one an 8.2 out of 5 out of 10. I don't disagree with your criticisms, though. It does yeah. feel, I can't think of a better ending, but yeah. it does, it's almost like the movie's trying to rope-a-dope you into being like, what a happy ending. And, but really, you know, like, no. It's, it's not even yeah. a bittersweet ending. Oh. It's just a fucking sad ending. Yeah. yeah even if just- he's in... Roman heaven with his wife and kid, they're still all dead and they all died horribly, including Maximus. Yeah. Brutally. It, it, yeah. it, it is. Yeah. I, the first, the opening scene is tremendous. That opening battle is so good. I really, really enjoyed the first third of the movie. And then yes. I just enjoyed it less and less as the movie went on to the point where at the end I was like, huh, where did my feelings go? Cause I don't, this is, it's this a little too work. long too. Yeah, it is long. Yeah. Um, it is also my number two of the week and I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. I can't fault you there. <laughs> I, I got to double down on what I was, uh, what I was saying though, <laughs> before we get out of here with gladiator, which is, I think that, uh, Oliver Reed's performance is great. Richard Harris is fantastic. Oh, in this movie. I, I, okay. So I really, really enjoyed his performance and I, did not do all my homework prior to watching this movie. I did it afterwards. And when, when I was watching it, I'm like watching him have that scene with Maximus. And I just went, oh, that's Jared Harris's father. Cause I just like recognized the their voice. same mannerisms and voice. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's so cool. I got like, so BS. excited. Yeah. I was it's like, more oh, BS. oh, that's Lane Price from Mad Men. Yeah. Like I was like, Oh, I, I just got so excited about that. I love the seeing, older like, he's gotten, the, the more his voice sounds like his father. Yes. yes. Yeah. I was like, what? That's crazy. Isn't Richard so. Harris an ex Mr. Elizabeth Taylor? Weren't they together? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Richard Harris. Also, okay. Oliver Reed, Richard Harris, two old school Hollywood actors yeah. who had already done a shit ton of these historical epics. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant casting at like the end of their careers and of their lives to be like, Hey, let's put you back into, you know, what you used to do, especially Richard Harris. He's done so much shit. Yeah. I feel like he was a Liz Taylor guy, wasn't he? I, I don't, I have Dear to Binge Lords, right into the show at, at Binge Movies on Twitter or Binge Movies at gmail.com and let us know if Richard Harris, who I think is a Sir Richard Harris, ever fucked Liz Taylor. That's what we want to know. <laughs> Can you blame a guy? No. All right. Well, that leaves us to a movie I have covered a long long time ago and swore i'd never fucking talk about again 
as I do these top grossing films, of the two thousands, you have to know, dear listener, I'm going to cover some movies I've already covered. And here's how that rule is going to go moving forward. My guest can potentially put it on the list. I cannot. So they're, they're not viable for me because I've already eliminated them. Of okay. course, I'm talking about 2000s MI2, which currently has a 56% on tomatoes. <laughs> Please continue to speak in this tone. Agent located. Good morning, Mr. Hunt. This is not mission difficult. It's mission impossible. This summer. Oh, I'm bad now. <laughs> anything. Having fun? Is. Difficult to be a walk in the park for you. Possible. Tom Cruise. This message will destruct in five seconds. Mission Impossible 2, rated PG-13. This Wednesday everywhere. MI2 is directed by John Woo, the screenplay by Robert Town, a story by Ronald D. Moore, Brandon Braga, who is a graduate of Kent State University, and I heard him speak about screenwriting. Got famous for doing some Star Trek shit, and he did this, and he's kind of disappeared. Um, he worked on Next Gen. Uh, it's based on Mission Impossible by Bruce Geller. It's trying to return of Anthony Hopkins, last seen in Thor Ragnarok. I don't know what the fuck accent he's doing in this movie. <laughs> it's like a, it's his voice, but with a slight American country accent. Very strange. It's trying to return of Ray Scott, last seen in Deep Impact. It's a trying to return of Brennan Gleeson, last seen in Edge of Tomorrow. It's trying to return of Crump, Tom Cruise, last seen in Jerry Maguire. It's released May 24th, 2000, on a budget of $125 million. It made four hundred or $546.4 million. <clears throat> A super spy sends his new love to sex or psycho super spreader X in order to save a world that doesn't deserve it. It's an impossible mission for Tom Cruise, but this time I don't care at all. <laughs> Let me say it again with emphasis. A super spy sends his new love to sex or psycho super spreader X in order to save a world that doesn't deserve it. Mission Impossible Force goes through hell and high water to prevent a pandemic when we now know that 40% of the population wouldn't stop drinking in public even if millions were in mass graves down the street from their local bar. This is a fact that you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. Your friends and neighbors wouldn't stop going to fucking Applebee's while just down the street from the Chili's where they got the, the app sampler and a fucking watered-down apple teeny, there were mass graves and freezers filled with your loved ones. Nobody gives a fuck about their fellow man anymore. God is dead. <laughs> Try not being a nihilist in 2022 when you know 40% of the people around you are psychotically, apocalyptically fucking ignorant. Yeah. Cool. Best part of this movie is the mask effect still looks great. It actually looks better than it does in some of the later movies when he takes the mask off. It's like, holy shit, that's seamless. Yeah, that looks good. Yeah, I reviewed this movie in 2015. We are now 20, uh, We are now 22 years removed from it. Hmm. And some people have said you don't really understand a movie until 10 years after it's released. And others have said you don't really can't really interpret a movie until it's about the 20 year mark. I think it's actually 25 to 30 years. That's when if it's going to be a classic, that's when it's like, OK, 25, 30 years later, it still works. That's a classic film. We're not quite there yet. I don't think Mission Impossible 2 is going to make it. 
<laughs> but because I, I think at 20 years, what actually starts to set in is like this thicker lacquer of nostalgia for an era. I think you're applying your nostalgia for an era of your life or an era of filmmaking because right. the that era has moved on. And, and so we're now 20 plus years removed. It's been years. It's been seven years since the last time I talked about this movie, which is fucking insane. I've been doing this show that long. Will my view be different about the movie? Here's what I'll say. I've now seen far worse and far sillier high budget junk than this. So I've seen way worse movies. I think the average movie released in theaters, maybe not recently, maybe not in the last like 18 months, but before that, for the last eight years, just about everything that was big budget was worse than this. <laughs> um, the weirdest part of this movie is seeing early middle age crews. Like mm -hmm. I can accept young crews and I can accept old crews, but this where he's not quite young, but he's not quite middle aged and he's definitely not old. He's in a really weird fucking place. Looks yeah. wise he's in this movie. Skinny. Yeah. And you're like, his face is a little gaunt and I don't like that. He looks weird in this. Um, so also, a, this is not Ethan Hunt from the De Palma Mission <laughs> Impossible. It's no. not the same person. And no, it's, it's not. The, yeah. And it's definitely not <laughs> Ethan Hunt from the J.J. Abrams essentially reboot that we've been on ever since where the movies are all pretty incredible. Yeah. This is like an aberration of a film within the series. And it's an aberration of the Ethan Hunt character. Like, who the fuck is this guy? What is this? Why is he so sad? Why is he so angry all the time? Why yeah. is this fun movie about impossible missions and viral plagues back when we didn't think it could happen to us? Yeah. Why is it so fucking sad and thrillless? And it's John Woo yeah. making a big budget American movie. You got the guy who reinvented Hong Kong action cinema. You stole all of his <laughs> signature shit for 20 years. You finally got him in Hollywood. And you don't let him do anything. Yeah. Except for the yeah. end, which sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is weird. That's, that's why in my one sentence summary, I said it's an impossible mission for Tom Cruise because this is Tom Cruise. This is not yeah. even like this is Tom no. Cruise. And I, I, because I don't, I can't pinpoint it. Is this when we first found out that Tom Cruise was kind of crazy? Not couch jumping. Is this when we first were like, huh, that dude might be nuts? Because I remember at the MTV Movie Awards, Ben Stiller played his stunt double. Yes, and they were yes. like, had dueling maniacal laughs. Yes. And is this when we found out he was nuts? I think when he decided he wanted to open, like introduce his character free climbing, <laughs> free soloing for real. With yeah. no harness, it just boulder a fucking giant cliff and it made hang me from it. Vomit. It made and me hang absolutely from it. want to vomit <laughs> watching that. I was like, I can't, I can't. I'm gonna puke. I'm like sitting in my room. I was like, I am going to throw up watching this. It was so scary. And then as I was watching it, like a huge crack of thunder came right as the moment when he slipped, and I freaked the fuck out because I like, didn't. I was just set, like completely overwhelmed i i thought i was going to be sick it i did not like that okay, okay. so do you think <laughs> when we talked about dinosaur how dinosaur is essentially like a precursor to what animation would become and what yeah. disney would become right yeah. mixing cgi and live action and whatever this is kind of like it's not the same character it's not any of the whatever but it feels slightly like 
this is the first time that he does because like the the rappel scene in the cia in the first one that's clearly a movie set yes he's really doing the wire work but he's doing wire work on a movie set mm-hmm. here he is in the fucking wild <laughs> hanging off a <of> shit <laughs> I I feel uncomfortable just while we're talking about it. This is now, this is, this becomes a staple of the franchise from this point forward, right? Mm -hmm. Like Tom Cruise is in real life. Got to climb or almost fall off of something very high, regardless of what insurance companies say. (laughs) Yeah. He's got to hang off of fucking helicopters. He's got to go to Qatar or Dubai and go to the world's tallest building and fucking climb it for real. He's got he's to do some crazy shit. So it's the only part of the, the, this movie that feels like mission impossible. Yeah. What it's become. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else in it is just like junk. I don't know how else to put it from. Yeah. I mean, it's no fault of the movie, but God damn, they made it during the, the, the six months people listen to new metal. And so we got a new metal <laughs> mission impossible theme. Limp yeah. Biscuit does the fucking Mission Impossible theme. You're like, oh no, uh, <laughs> no, this how embarrassing. As much as I enjoyed like the moment in time music and what women want, the moment in time parts of the culture <sighs> in this movie are truly terrible. Like, um, Tandy Wade Newton is a a globe trotting master thief who wears cuffed jeans because 2000 (laughs) my god it was everything she was wearing i was like yeah no that's what everybody wore and everybody dressed like an idiot in the mall like yes no no matter what level of society you were at everybody dressed like trash in this time and she is she's gorgeous gorgeous she's wearing the dumbest clothes yes and has no agency no no agency no chemistry with tom cruise whatsoever like no chemistry with anybody <laughs> no, no 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 and also just plot wise the idea that like he met her once sleeps with her and then she they're in love uh, yeah he's stalking yeah. her yeah. so he yeah. stalks her and then she hooks up with her ex not even because she wanted to because, because other people made her and he's yes. mad at her for it like dude i'm sorry are you not a slut spy Tom Cruise because I thought that you were so yep. wh- what's why are you mad at her also you know she didn't want to do it that's yeah. fucked up that you made her do it and now you're mad at her for you it you made her go Fuck back to movie. her abusive ex-boyfriend yes. who she fled and has been on a yeah. run from because he's crazy yeah. yes fuck this movie fuck it I don't I don't like it I don't like what's happening there's a much <laughs> easier explanation there's a much easier way to get into this which is since this complete other than Luther, it completely ignores the first film, basically. Yeah. In the intervening years between the first film and this film, he has started dating this woman. Yeah. They can have an actual relationship instead of him just they, stalking That's her. exactly right. They can have an actual <laughs> relationship. He yeah. met her on some mission. She's a world master thief. They kind of understand each other. It's also mm-hmm. got kind of like that Batman Catwoman dynamic yeah. where like he's a good guy, but she's kind of a bad guy, but not really because she's like stealing from bad guys and like, yeah. but he's on the side of the law and all this sort of shit. And fucking Anthony Hopkins, since the fucking IMF always fucks Ethan over, always <laughs> fucks him over. Anthony always. Hopkins, like, fucking blackmails her into 
going to be, you know, to do this because otherwise they're going to put her in prison, blah, blah, blah. Ethan doesn't know about it. Mm-hmm. I'm essentially writing a James Bond movie. The ones that would come later, uh, <laughs> the, 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 uh, Daniel Craig Bond movies, mm-hmm. but, and we'll come back to Bond in a second, but, and then Ethan, like Ethan thinks that she broke up with him to go back with her ex and he's heard about it, but then he actually finds out that she's being blackmailed and she doesn't want to be there. So then he has to go rescue her, or help her get out of the situation. And then she uses her agency to like, she becomes a part of the team, like a team basically. And she uses her skill sets and this and that. And then if you still want to put her in peril, because that's what you do with some of these movies and she still gets drugged up with the drug and blah, 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 blah. Like, what I'm saying is you could hit some of the same plot points in a much smarter way. Mm-hmm. And instead you, they've essentially made a, a, a Pierce Brosnan bond movie out of mission impossible. And the thing about, I know you didn't really care for it, but the thing about the Palma's <laughs> mission impossible movie is it's not a James Bond movie. It's almost an anti James Bond movie. It's a right. team they're yeah. all brutally murdered in the first five minutes <laughs> and you're not expecting it. And it turns out that the fucking super spies are the bad guys. And, you know, this rogue agent uh, who's, you know, who's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's like, especially compared to like GoldenEye, it's an anti-Bond movie. De Palma's coming in, he's making a subversive spy film, which is a reboot off of a cheesy TV show. Yeah. Um, this again, you, you I might say I wanted De Palma back or whatever. The idea of getting a different director to have a different take. Okay, that's interesting. But the script is basically just a bad James Bond movie. He meets a girl who's mm-hmm. kind of a bad guy and he sleeps with her, and they're instantly in love. And in every Bond movie, the girl dies. That's mm-hmm. the only difference was that she would die if this were a classic Bond movie. <laughs> and it just sucks. I mean, it just, I, I mean, yeah. the, the, even, even the chimera and the, the world needs villains and heroes. So I'm going to release a plague because only I'll own the cure for it and all this sort of shit. That's all. That's like, that's like the tomorrow never dies where the guy wants to fucking control newspapers. It's like, it's like, Oh, big. I mean, we know corporations are evil. They got that yeah. part. Right. But yeah. the idea of like, they want to do this, like, mundane bullshit to control the world i want to control satellites they already fucking do yeah i want to control yeah. the flow of information they already do i want to yeah. control the healthcare system you already yeah, exactly. do exactly the idea that like you know what i'll do i'll make people sick and then they'll have to pay me to get better there yeah that's america sick. that is america yeah. it's america it. yes like, that's we, exactly we, right we knew stupid that. even then we knew that yep. um but yeah, even there, the, the cruise Newton chase that's in this, where they're like in the car or whatever, it's literally ripped off from the opening of golden eye. The exact same thing happens with Ivana hump a lot or whatever the fuck her name is. A lot of pussy <laughs> vagina, fuck whatever. It's the same shit. It's the same shit. The only thing this needed was another female character who killed people by orgasming them to death like a, like a, a bond movie that's that's there needed to be another femme fatale she's the good femme fatale and needs to be a bad femme fatale and either needed to fucking both and then it would be mm-hmm. it would be a pierce brosnan bond movie through and through yeah because the, the what it really comes down to is that this has worse massaging in it than what women want yeah 100 because 
The last 30 minutes of this movie is nothing but Hunt putting his love interest. Well, well, he's already put her at the center of danger. Mm-hmm. But it's just these two men fighting over who gets to pass back and forth Lanny Newton. That's mm-hmm. it. As if she has no say so <laughs> whatsoever. She, she doesn't in the movie. She doesn't I know. It's bizarre. Yeah. The, the only choice she makes in the movie is to tell Tom Cruise to fuck off. And then she doesn't get to do that. He stalks her until yes. she relents. Like, it's terrible. It's terrible. This movie sucks. So we got De Palma <laughs> for the first one, who's a very stylized director, obviously, who I think you hate. We have. <laughs> Honestly, I think, I think that I do too. Yeah. yeah. You've got John Woo, who's a very stylized director. <laughs> who uh this is not his best work no. if you would have stayed on this trend and not gotten jj abrams who's kind of a bland director although mission possible three is really great thank you philip seymour hoffman um and christopher McQuarrie. i think that's when he pops in um if they just stay on this, like they're going to be like these, like almost standalone movies where a different director is going to come in and just put their style on it. How about this for the third one? Or how about this? Cause we know there's going to be dead reckoning part one and part two. How about after the, the dead reckoning films, mission Impossible: dead reckoning, the, the two parter, what if we continue it on? We go back to the original formula and we get Baz Luhrmann's mission impossible. <laughs> Don't you want to see Tom Cruise in a Baz Luhrmann Mission Impossible movie? I want to see it more than Mission Impossible 2. And you bring back Nicole Kidman. (gasps) (laughs) Oh my God, I want to see this movie now. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Nicole Kidman and Baz Luhrmann in Mission Impossible, whatever the fuck you would have called it. Technicolor Dreamcoat. Mission Impossible and the Technicolor (laughs) Dreamcoat with Tom Cruise. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. And then you put Nicole Kidman <laughs> with Jeremy Renner's character because I don't, I don't know if he died off screen or if they're going to bring him back. <laughs> that was in an era where they kept trying to pass every action franchise to Jeremy him, Renner. Jeremy Renner. And, and he was soci- just like, hot potato. <laughs> society was like, no, thank like, you. No. We, we want the old guy. <laughs> bring him back. Had, get, the guy get that guy out of mothballs. Bring him back. Yeah. I didn't hate this movie as much as I railed against it seven years ago. <laughs> You've mellowed. I Maybe I have. You've seen I, so, it's, you, you said it before, you've seen so much worse garbage. Yeah. And also, you know that this franchise pulls out of this. This isn't that's the a, tailspin. That's a really good point. Yeah. So you have the perspective of history and you have the perspective of a lot of other junk. Just so. being worn, worn down. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's barely in the suckling. 5.25 out of 10. It's <laughs> my number four. I couldn't put it in the vault even if I wanted to, and I sure as hell don't. What about you? Uh, so if if uh, Binge Lords will recall, I gave the original Miss Mission Impossible when I did that episode back in 2020. I gave it a 6 out of 10. This Which is, is staggering. It, this, this wasn't very good. This is not as good as that. Uh, I gave this a 4.5. 4.5 out of 10. It is my worst of the week. It's a very bad movie. It stinks. Yeah, it stinks. (laughs) P-U. Yeah. 
All right, it's time for a recap. Coming in dead last for me is Dinosaur, which I gave a 5 out of 10. <laughs> uh, coming in number 4 is Mission Impossible 2, 5.25 out of 10. It stinks, P.U. Get the skunk out. Uh, number 3, <laughs> not as misogynistic as you would think. <laughs> Pretty woke. What women want? 6 out of 10. <laughs> Who knew? Um, maybe the most progressive film on our list here. Jesus Christ. Mel Gibson's great in it. Binge Movie says, Mel Gibson, two thumbs up. <laughs> Coming in number two. My tongue is in my cheek. Calm the fuck down, Twitter. Coming in number two is Gladiator, which is an 8.25 out of 10. Again, it's like, oh boy, but no, it's pretty good. And then there's Castaway, which is, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> 8.5 out of 10. It's like the last of its kind, the last of an era. Robert Zemeckis will never make another good movie. Tom Hanks probably won't either. This is it. Enjoy the run while you can. <sighs> okay. Uh, at number five, I have Mission Impossible 2 with a 4.5 out of 10. <laughs> Stinks. Don't watch it. Uh, number four, Dinosaur. So boring. So bland. Five out of 10. Number three, <laughs> shockingly entertaining. Bizarrely not infuriating. What women want <laughs> with a 6.9 out of 10. Uh, number two, pretty pretty solid stuff doesn't stick the landing gladiator with a 7.5 out of 10 and number one a a surprising surprisingly entertaining first watch for me Castaway with an eight out of 10 not that far off in score I know. or anything that's surprising yeah. surprising i thought you yeah. were really go way off the rails but you didn't I know. I but you know. still have a chance because you're going to be back in the very next episode which is last movie standing time, baby. <laughs> and this God. time it's called The Clash. It Ooh. is the culmination of our Eliminator Gauntlet. It is the final round of the entire year. There will be only one movie left standing for the entire year of 2022. Out of a hundred and however many fucking films, we're going to be down to one. It's going to be you versus a mystery opponent who I refer okay. to as the final boss. Are you nervous and how are you feeling? Oh, I'm so nervous. I'm very nervous, but I will be honest. Right now, I am happy that I don't have to watch so many more movies to prepare for this because in this episode, we've already handled them and we picked the same one. So I'm like relieved. I'm doing the math on how much I have to do yeah. to prepare for my And battle. you never have to talk about Casablanca again because it's been <laughs> eliminated from cinematic history. Yeah. This last movie standing will be back to the public. It's outside of the steel cage. It's going to be back to the public. All of film Twitter is going to get to vote. You have Night of the Living Dead in your back pocket, fresh off of its Criterion, not release, Criterion re-release, which Criterion mm -hmm. very rarely does. They're doing another release of it, this time in 4K. So you can either choose to stick with Night of the Living Dead or you could switch it up for one of the films that's either on, well, it has to be on my list because yeah. you're going to be defending the short list. So it's yep. either Night of the Living Dead or one of the other films I picked during the season. Uh, are, are you happy Casablanca is gone? Because, you know, it's a yes. fine film, but it's yeah, ain't all that. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of it. Sick of it. We, you know, we know Claire's <laughs> sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we know claire is sick of it um Love is you, there a chance pray tell that whoever wins this year 
has to defend their year-long championship at the beginning of next year? We'll find out. You're you're the only one who knows that. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I just work here. I don't make all the rules. Uh, Uh. We we will find out at the end of our very next episode. You're not going to want to miss it. Our returning champion, the Lady One, takes on the final boss in last movie standing, The Clash. Until next time, binge on. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.